This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that likes football, but not Burnley. Uh, the visitors to Stamford Bridge on Saturday were, of course, Burnley, a strange and unintelligible northern tribe fond of black pudding and Eccles cakes. Uh, many of us were a bit worried that yet another underperforming side would turn up and find some form at the expense of Chelsea's rather skittish home form. Uh, a slightly fortunate penalty for William was coolly dispatched by Jorginho and Chelsea never really looked back after that and in truth could and should have won by a hatful. But the real takeaway from the match... The performances of Chelsea's homegrown youngsters who clearly have that telepathy that comes from having played together for years. Reese James, Callum Hudson and Doyne Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham all combined to good effect. And while Tammy scored his 15th goal of the season and Callum his first Premier League goal, it was Reese James who was the star of the show. The future appears to be bright, blue and most definitely made in Chelsea. Uh, the Chelsea fancast number 488 can only be called... Made in Chelsea. So there you go. Right, and on this little showette tonight, I'm actually really looking forward to this, I've got to say. Even though I'm pooped, <coughs> I'm looking forward to it. Because, uh, apart from, well, I've got Jonathan Kidd, of course. I mean, what other reason could you want not to be pumped to do a Chelsea fan cast than to have Jonathan Kidd on the show? Oh, chidge, 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 chidge. The smoke being blown up my backside. Yep. Wow. Thank Indeed. You. Let's hope it's not carbon monoxide. Uh, at you. You well? Very good, thank you. Yes, I I did a talk sport um, uh, prostate cancer ad today, so you'll be hearing me being very serious. Oh, yeah, really? Oh, if you if listen to talk sport. That is, uh, I do, but don't tell anybody. Uh, <gasps> but I do, I do indeed. Uh, I sh- I should listen listen to love sport really, but you know, um, many people. In fact, actually, interestingly enough, a lot of people keep phoning in saying how much they prefer it to talk sport which is really nice here but there you go enough blowing smoke up my own derriere uh now the, the, one of the reasons why i'm so pumped to do a show tonight um because uh 
I mean, you know, I, I kind I kind of ration this this chap uh, quite uh, well on the show. But so when we get him on, it's always really really special. And I know everybody who listens to this show absolutely loves it when he's on, and I've got proof of that in some of the emails later. But I'm delighted to say we have the lovely Joe Tweedy on the show. Joe, Happy New Year! Yeah, Happy New Year, Chich. How are you? I'm very 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 well. And how are you? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, Copenhagen's great. Life is great. Chelsea win. What's uh, what's better than that? What, Start in the new year. Too bloody right, mate. You can't ask for much more than that. Right. Uh, so, without further ado, on the show tonight, we look back at Chelsea's 3-0 win against Burnley and discuss uh, Williams' penalty, uh, the importance of the first goal, and not for the first time... Uh, this season, the merits or otherwise of VAR, as well as the growing performances of Chelsea's homegrown youngsters. In part two, we ask, is Barkley back? Set-piece vulnerabilities continue, Christensen surprises us, and Rudiger's out of whack radar. And in part three, we have a look at the current youth players, uh, because we've got Joe Tweedy on, it would be really rude not to. And we discuss who might be the next group to break into the senior side, and are they in fact part of the club's longer-term plans? Plus, We look ahead to next weekend's match against Newcastle. And in part four, I mean, we really do have some cracking emails to read out this week. So uh, so look forward to that. Don't run away. Don't think it's all over after part three. The emails are quite often the best bit, in my view, anyway. Do you think we could just, to keep the interest of the listeners, could we just sprinkle the show with the emails? Just say, actually, I'm going to do an email now. Yeah, we could. For no apparent reason whatsoever. We could do that. We could do that. that. That that would force them to keep attention. It would. It, it would. I, yeah, but you see, I, I'm I'm more trusting of our listeners than you are. You see, oh, okay. I, I, okay. I mean, I can understand why some of the Mixler people might bugger off. I mean, they've probably been listening listening to us waffle on for usually an hour and a half by the time we get round to the emails, and they've probably got yes. dinner to eat. But uh, yes. the and podcast lives to lead, lives to lead. Yeah, yes. you know, the podcast version. You see, they'll, what they'll then do, you see, they'll probably catch up on the podcast version. But I have faith in our listeners that they do. Do listen to the email. So there you go. Anyway, don't miss them because they're some good ones this week. Now, don't forget, of course, you can listen to the show live every Monday, 7 o'clock p.m. by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where, of course, you can join in the chat like so many uh, so many of you do on the live chat page. There are loads of you in here tonight. Just a quick smattering. We've got Mr. Aurelius13, Andy the Hutch, uh, Eocene, Vinod, the lovely Vinod is in and uh, Benny the Blue and I, I have a I have a New Year's resolution Benny uh, to be nice to Benny the Blue and to not shout at him for the entire rest of the season I will try and we got Blue Spark in the house how lovely so there we go loads of you in here um, of course you can always tweet us at Chelsea Fancast anytime you like always lovely to hear from you do uh, do get in touch so there you go now after this little break uh, we will be talking football Special uh, Saturday, actually. Um, uh, some of you will know this, but I, 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 I had a, you know one of those days you really just will never probably forget. Actually, uh, I took my nephew. Don't have I don't have kids myself, so he's the closest I've got to a son. So I took him to his first Chelsea match, and we had some great tickets, uh, courtesy of Steve 
Jeffrey to uh, shed upper, actually. Brilliant seats right at the front. Just had a brilliant, brilliant day. Uh, you know, introducing him to Marco and Dave and everybody at the stall. We met Canners. Uh, I spoiled him rotten, bought him books, bought him a fanzine, bought him a program, scarf, Cliff Augur gave him a supporters trust badge. And we uh, met Canners, as I said, and, and we even met Jonathan afterwards, which was great fun. But uh, I, I, as I said to Joe before we went on air, um, if uh, if that if that doesn't ensure he supports Chelsea for life, I don't know what will, Jonathan. Did he? Did he had? A, he bought a scarf. Did you buy? You know, you bought him a scarf. Yeah, I did. You? I did. You bought him a proper scarf. Well, I bought him a, a hooky, a hooky one from one F- of the stalls. One of the stalls, you know, because they look. I like those little kind of blue and white stripes, with a with a hooky sewn on badge. But uh, I just thought I don't. You know, I don't like these badges, uh, flags with like all lots of writing on and people's faces. It's all bollocks. You want blue and white scarf? That simple, right? Yeah, 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 completely. Yeah, yeah well, one badge is quite nice, isn't it? Or just he, but uh, yeah, it's um, and also he doesn't want one with a player's name on it because nope. it's out of date soon or they might get transferred or go into a rut, you know. You know, you just need a, a nice, um, you know, traditional um, would well, be nice to get a woolen one, wouldn't it, really? Or yeah, uh, a, yeah. a, rather than a rather than a, a one made out of a variety of um, of strange uh, substances, but that's the way they're made nowadays. But uh, he, he wasn't after a half and half scarf, was he? No, nope. that wasn't. No, no. I, I, well, I actually said to him, I said, you can go and buy a scarf from that stall over there as long as you buy that one. Yeah, you know, fair I, enough. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was fair enough. But, uh, yeah. I mean, the point of all this long-winded introduction, of course, is that we had a we had a perfect view of uh, of William's penalty. I mean, I, I should also add that, 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 bless his heart, he was the, the game kicked off and he was videoing it on his phone because he clearly wanted to capture the moment Chelsea scored a goal, his first Chelsea goal, if you like, uh, and probably put it on Instagram or something like they do. And I said, look, listen, mate, I said, you don't want to be doing that for the whole game because you just don't, you know, you don't know if they'll score or your arm will probably fall off if you hold that phone up all the time. And I said, anyway, you won't actually see anything because you're looking in it through the bloody phone. I said, look, if you if you put the phone down, you'll see the entire game, the build-up and the movement and all of that. And he looked a bit crestfallen, but I think he understood it in the end. But as luck would have it, of course, we got a penalty, which uh, I have to say, uh, Joe, I, 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 we had a perfect view. I mean, we, we were literally right on top of it. And he clearly bought it. But, I mean, don't be a prick as a defender. Stay on your feet. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, for some reason my mind immediately went back to uh, Diego Costa. I think it was Burnley when he got booked for diving when the goalie took him out. So, you know, I, I, in my head, I'm kind of equaling it up a little bit by saying, yeah, OK, we, we finally kind of got a decision against Burnley. But it, it was really cute from William. I mean, you would definitely be irritated if that was uh, if that was the other way around. But equally, I mean, you can't fly in, in the penalty area like that and expect a, a player of, of sort of William's you know, ability and also his, his nous and his experience to to not lean into the challenge. And again, you know, he, he was miles away from the ball anyway, even if William did lean into him, he was so far from the ball. I mean, it was, you know, one of them that was cute. Maybe, you know, again, as I said, you'd be a little bit frustrated if that was uh, given against Chelsea. But I think in this in this case, the sort of recklessness of the, of the challenge kind of made it easy for the referee to give it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 would, I would have, you know, I, I would have been cross... I mean, it was cute, as you said. I mean, William, you know, dangled his leg as they do. But I would, if it had been the other way around, I'd have been cross with the defender, Jonathan. You know, I'm completely. For doing that. That. I was going to say it was it was desperate, re- ridiculous from the defender because he's nowhere near the ball, and you're inviting um, 
if, as long as there's contact, uh, the player's going to lean, as, as, as Joe said, lean into. But it, he's got that ability, <laughs> really an awful thing to say, we're analysing his diving, of, uh, of, of sticking his foot just onto the other guy's leg, you know. So then it, it's the kind of the whole set is is revealed you know you've got the lean in and the uh, and the contact and the leg and the and the tumble but um i mean he did contact him but he could really have stood on his feet yeah he was i mean i i thought it was a soft penalty and we were seeing the back of him because yeah. you know we're on the halfway line <clears throat> so uh, at the time i thought no that surely can't be a pen but i think var would have given it as well if they'd slowed it down because they'd have seen the contact so well, yeah, they did. No, they it, did go to VAR and they they they, valid, they validated yeah. it. So there you go. Well, they do everything goes to VAR. Oh well, we'll, we'll get on to that in a minute because I'm 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 going to have a weird conversation about that. Um, but uh, I think the thing is, Joe, and I mean, actually, to be to be very fair to Frank, I mean, he he mentioned this, um, you know, in his in his post match uh, comments. But I think this is the problem that we've been having, and a lot of these games where we've been losing to sides that we really shouldn't lose at at home. But it's really, really important that we get an early goal or at least get a goal, uh, uh, you know, ahead. And in fact, I'll, I'll just read you what he said. Um, we should have scored more, but I can't complain because we scored in the first half. We've got nervous before when we've had a measure of possession, but not scored. And I thought that was a really good point. And and the other thing, I happened to be listening, funnily enough, we were talking about listening to Talk Sport a minute ago, but... I was listening to Jermaine Pennant, would you believe, uh, driving back from London yesterday. And they were talking about Chelsea and their form at home. And, and he was saying, you know, and he would know. I mean, he played for quite a while. It's, it can sometimes, when you're young, it, or, or any time really, but particularly if you're young, it can be quite difficult to play at home when it's not going your way because you hear the, you you do hear that. I mean, I'm not talking about the, gen, you know, people abusing players, but we've all been there. I mean, Joe used to sit damn well next to me, and I used to. I mean, I, I think I once stood up and called Matic a long, lanky streak of piss, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> Which could be heard in the Amazon rainforest. But, you know, I heard it. there we I go. Heard. I mean, yeah. we get frustrated and tense and nervous, and I think that may, may transmit to the players. So, I mean, to get that goal, I think, was so important, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's really kind of the pattern of play that we've had in so many of these games that have. Have kind of gone you know, kind of against us at home over the you know the, the, particularly this season, but it's it's an inability to convert you know sort of the chances we create. And if you look at the you know, any kind of the of the sort of data and stats on this, you know we, we're definitely one of the most creative sort of teams in the league. But in terms of in terms of finishing, and I think it's also as you say, it's kind of the the timing of some of these chances. I mean, if, if you think back to the uh, first game of the season, Manchester United, we had a couple of really good little moments early on. And then the game kind of slipped away from us. And I think that pattern has, has emerged a little bit kind of at home is where, you know, if we don't sort of make the most of some of these sort of good 20, 30 minute spells we have, as you say, sort of the, the, the kind of pressure builds. And I think, you know, obviously the, the, the kind of the clock then starts working against you. And then you start working against the, the clock as well. So it was for me vitally important, particularly because Burnley, all oh, right, you know, they're in a bit of a, a bad run by their kind of sort of obstinate form that they, they sort of typically show in the Premier League. But they're also a team that can very much kind of bang it out and, and have that almost the, the kind of formula of how to kind of stop us from playing down to a tee. So to score early and to get that early goal, um, at least sort of, you know, sort of first half and, and then actually see the side sort of kick on from there, I think it was, was a real positive. And hopefully, again, you know, if we, we continue to see sides kind of play these sort of deep defensive blocks and kind of deeper against us and ask us, you know, ask us questions to break them down, if we can start getting earlier goals, then it should really make games a lot easier for us to to not only sort of you know get a get a goal lead, but also push on and score the second, the third, and the fourth. 
Mm, I totally agree. I mean, Jonathan, actually, I've got a brilliant stat from uh, the uh, uh, Mr. Aurelius 13. He says that our lead at half time was our first at home since Sheffield United. And that kind of says it all, really, doesn't it? Wow. And then we faded in the Sheffield United game, which we didn't do at all in uh, in this one. In fact, I felt that the first 20 minutes, um, our head started to go down a bit because yeah. we couldn't score. Frank actually said that he thought uh, uh, we'd played wonderfully from the beginning, but I would disagree with him. I thought that, that they were they were in the game all the time, Burnley, with their, I mean, essentially rustic way of playing, isn't it? It's, it, it's you know, antediluvian, to say the least. It's it's the defending and then booting the ball down the pitch and running after it a lot of the time, which, uh, um, cause of, because of Wood being uh, a very competitive player, actually has its benefits. And a very fat, and a very fat player, it should be said. He is a bit tubby. There is a tubbiness about him, but he does get his head on the ball. I was bemused by how many head injuries there were in the first half or even nose injuries. Wood got um, clattered in the nose and his nose was constantly bleeding. So he's having to wander off to have it checked. But uh, there were about four or five um, uh, challenges from uh, mostly involving Christensen, I have to say, who uh, we're going to get onto him, but, but who was really in the thick of it very impressively. It was, um, but particularly early on when they they were just putting it about a bit, you know, as they do. But that's that, the way they play. And I thought the goal came against the run of play, really. The, well, the penalty. It, it, I mean, it was a re- it was weird. I, I mean, I I kind of agree with all of that. I mean, Frank Frank said we were positive from minute one, and I mean, I would agree with that. I I thought we were at it and we were trying to have a go. But of course, you know, Burnley are a tough nut to crack. And of course, every time they went up the pitch and lobbed the ball in. We looked, we looked vulnerable still, didn't we? And I, I agree with you to, a, you know, to an extent. In fact, I, I, in fact, I think, I think that, I think that, I think that, I think that first goal, which they got chalked off for offside, we scored yeah. pretty much straight after that, didn't we? I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was once again that was from that um, uh, free kick from position on the left that we seen absolutely incapable of dealing with. I don't know what that is. It's that they always get the first header across the goal, whoever the club is. And uh, and then there's somebody there to head in. Well, I mean, I, I, I watched it. I watched, I watched it on Match of the Day. I can't remember if it was Match of the Day or or, or whatever. And they, they talked about. I think it was McNeil who put the ball in. And you know, they they were. I mean, it was. I can't remember. I think it was me who headed it across for Hendrick, wasn't it? And yeah. they they said that there was nothing that Aspilicueta could have done with that. It was just such a well delivered ball. You know that that you know basically he was done by a really good piece of football. So it does happen. Yeah, well, we seem to be be a little bit prone to that particular move. That appears to be something that uh, um, it doesn't seem to happen in the same way from the right. If there's a free kick, I have to say there seem to be more free kicks from the left. But it's just that that whipped ball across, which uh, uh, which is always headed back. I think there have been about four or five goals like that this season. Mm, um, I know, it's all rather weird. But anyway, I mean, we obviously went 1-0 up, which is really right. And we're kind of getting into the VAR bit now, actually. So I might as well just, you know, carry on. But uh, first we had the penalty, which uh, clearly had to go to VAR because they do. Then we had that, that possible Burnley goal, which, I mean, when you, when you, you I mean... <sighs> Obviously, we were all delighted the minute that it yes. uh, got got revoked. But when I get, when I did get home and watch the highlights, you realise how bloody close it was. In fact, you could make an argument for saying that in this day and age, Abraham had kept him on side. But every fucking goal, excuse my French, every goal. I mean, you can't celebrate it anymore. Uh, I mean, again, I mean the the you know Hudson Adoy's goal. Um, there was some conjecture as to whether it had hit Abraham's head or not, and. 
if it had hit his head, then Hudson Odoi would have been offside. So, God, it does my head. I mean, we got we got the right end of it. I mean, that's the reality. I think we did well out of it uh, on 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 Saturday. But it's doing my head in, Jonathan. I cannot stand it. You know the uh, the West Ham goal. The, the argument was actually put that um, uh, it was such a great moment um, uh, and there were such great celebrations that the goal should have been awarded. That was an argument put forward by one of the punters. I can't remember who it was, which, of course, is absolutely ridiculous because if if it's offside, it's offside. But, it, well, you know, we're constantly having this debate, aren't we? But, yes, in actual fact, that is what's going to have to happen isn't it you just have to delay your celebration yeah but why should we have to do that they check well because they have to check everything no they don't they can fuck off no no but i i know chidge but if (laughs) we're we're either doing it or we're not you know they 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 can indeed fuck off whenever they feel like it but it's 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 not gonna work is it? i'm I'm glad you i'm glad you appreciate my my reasoned and technical analysis of it great it's great they can indeed but no my my major contention with var at the moment is um uh, is goalkeepers saving the ball and a goal kick being given you know then pushing it round or even a throw going the other way because it takes an absolute minuscule moment for them to check who the ball came off and in so many instances, the ball goes up the other end and it's almost a, it's a goal or almost a goal. And they, they're not going to go as far back as, as that because they'd be mad to do that, having said that they might, I suppose. But I, I don't get that aspect of VAR at the moment, as well as all the other things that are wrong. If the goalkeeper clearly p- palms the ball or it hits a player and goes off for a corner and the referee gives a goal kick and we see it, surely all aspects of the game should be... VAR should be applied. In particular, these, particularly corners that are given as goal kicks, just because it's it takes an absolute instant to be seen uh, by VAR because you just it's the path of the ball being deflected. You see it. We all see it at home. We frequently see it from the stands. That's my other complaint, and that's yeah, why you, you know you, referees just get it wrong. You know, you, you know what I'm like. I mean, it was quite in, it was quite interesting for me to to be so close to the William incident, for example, because normally I'm yeah. so far away I can't bloody see yeah. a thing. But but yeah. Joe, I mean, you know, I, obviously I, I have strong feelings about this, but I think a lot of it is is because of the way that it's it's just taking the the joy out of the game and my understanding and although I may have got this wrong is that all of this was supposed to be to negate clear and obvious errors and what's happening in my view is that they're just getting into such infinitesimal detail about it that it's, it's just moved totally away from clear and obvious and that that to me is bullshit Joe. I mean, they're they're sort of one technological advancement from using like Snicko, aren't they? The the cricket thing where they've got the uh, the sound on the screen and looking at sort of small fluctuations in graph to determine if it's a. Yes. I mean, it's. I mean, part of me completely. I kind of see the the perspective that this has been brought in to ensure that decisions are correct, but equally, I think the. You know, the, the, this phrase keeps being sort of uttered amongst pundits, kind of the spirit of the game, or you know, in essence, or whatever the, the sort of terminology is, and. I still really find it difficult to see how a, a two millimeter stud or toe, you know, being offside, although that may be the complete black and white interpretation of the law is, is really kind of in the spirit of the game. I mean, are you going to start now coaching young strikers to, to make delayed runs and not actually try and gamble to get onto things and, you know, hope that, you know, part of their shirt or, or some, some sort of weird thing that the, 
the kind of line being drawn on the screen is is, is going to show them as offside. So, you know, if it's clear and obvious, I mean, you're talking about, you know, ridiculous decisions where the guy is, is there's daylight between a striker and a defender. And it's very obviously that the linesman hasn't got it. If, if, it, if we're going to go down to sort of millimetres and snicko and all this sort of insane stuff that most likely will come in, then I don't really see the point of having yeah. linesmen in general. Just have a referee and have someone on the touchline with a video monitor doing every single throw in corner three kick i mean you might as well just have to have the whole game done by artificial intelligence i mean it's it's insane the kind of natural conclusion of this is to get away with referees and just have some guy on a tannoy system announcing the decisions to the players it's you know where do you i think that you know the argument jonathan's saying is, is kind of where do you stop should, we should be doing goal you know goal kicks we should be doing corners we should be doing probably throw-ins three kicks i mean it, it completely destroys the flow of the game for me well i mean it's just i i think it's the other thing I, that, that grinds my gears is that it, you, you might as well just have no referee at all. You know, you might as well just do it all from Stockley Park because they're re-refereeing the game. And my understanding was that they were always very conscious of not wanting to do that. But it's just, I mean, honestly, Joe, I mean, I know you've not been for a while, but when you're there, it's awful. It's awful. You just don't. Yeah. I mean, as it happens, I celebrate wildly anyway because I can't stop myself. But, you know, and then it dawns on you that, that you might just expend a load of energy for nothing. And it, it's just killing the game, man. Even though we did all right by it, it has to be said. Right, I want to talk about Tammy, Joe, because um, I'm absolutely loving this bloke. What a what a guy he is. He just gets better and better and better. You know, I love the fact that he, he's just grabbed this opportunity with both hands. Um, rather an odd goal. Um, but, uh, I mean, he could have had a hat-trick, really. I mean, actually, I mean, apart from... I thought Pope was rubbish for the goal that he did score, but was brilliant for the ones that done it. he denied him, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, the, the fascinating thing for me is if you think over, I mean, even sort of going back to Abramovich, the, the amount of like 20 goal a season strikers that Chelsea have had isn't really that high in the Premier League, particularly under Abramovich. I mean, it's what Drogba and maybe Costa um, have been sort of 20 goal a season strikers. And you think of all the kind of players we've had, you know, the Crespos, the Torreses, the sort of the big names. And I, I have a feeling that Tammy may be the, the next one to hit that benchmark. And, and obviously, importantly, I mean, he doesn't take any penalties. So, you know, this could be a, a guy who is looking very much like a 20-goal-a-season striker who's not taking any penalties. And, you know, I think his his overall game is developing week on week. And for the type of centre-forward he is, I think he's very much kind of a sort of middle ground between like a Costa and a Drogba. He's fit tall, he's physical, his hold-up play is improving, he's he's getting on the end of chances. I think, you know, you, you'd want him to continue working on his game, be a bit more physical in terms of his ability to contest headers maybe and, and be a bit more clinical when it comes to some of his finishing. But... You know, for his age and the kind of profile of striker that he potentially can become, you know, these sorts of strikers tend to be really good in their sort of mid to late 20s. I'm thinking of Drogba, I'm thinking of Costa, guys like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, that sort of tall striker who, you know, it has te- technical quality, good feet, good hold-up play. And at, at his age, you know, he's, you know he, what he's showing already is, is, is beyond, you know, what guys like Costa and, and Drogba were showing, certainly in, in, in comparative ages. And he's doing it for Chelsea. So I'm thinking in two, three years' time, if this guy is still the number nine, still has the faith in the club, he could be a 20-goal season striker. It hasn't cost us a penny. And I think he really suits the style of play that Chelsea have traditionally been really strong at, which is that spearhead focal point number nine who brings players in into the game, but also gets on the end of chances in the box. I mean, it's it's been a revelation. You think we've gone from Morata, the amount of money that we invested in him to be this focal point. And yet this guy was on loan in the championship last season, has come in and has already kind of outshone the 50, 60, 70 million pound man. It's crazy, but... You know, that's what a little bit of faith and a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of consistency and selection does for some of these young players. It gives them the belief that they can they can belong at this level. They belong at a club like Chelsea. And I think we're starting to see the benefits of that. 
Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, he. I think you know, talking about Costa, uh, I think that he's the only strike we've had recently that's that's started a season quite like this. I mean, I know yeah. Morata got quite a few goals early doors, but you know, Costa was was the was the finished article when he was doing that. I mean, this kid's just yep. still learning the game. I mean, the other thing. I mean, I, I know Jonathan's either disappeared for a wee or or he's put, mistakenly put himself on mute, which is why you know basically we haven't heard from. Oh, there we go. He's back. I mean, have you got anything to add on Tammy, Jonathan, or or because I really want to talk about this whole. I mean, other than Tammy, I thought having a really good game yesterday. What what really pleased me and was just a delight to watch. Actually, I mean, you, you talked a minute ago about. Uh, a lot of these sides like Burnley being really, really tough to break down. And of course, the tried old way of doing this is to go wide rather than try and play through them because they often pat the defence. And one of the joys yesterday were the way that they were switching the play. But there's a little triangle emerging between Tammy, uh, Reese James and Callum Hudson-Odoi, which was absolute. I mean, you would have had a good view of that, of course, but it was absolute joy to behold, I thought. Well, but also, I have to say that... the. The, the revelation was, uh, particularly the second half, was Barkley spreading the ball around from wing to wing. In fact, Barkley had a fantastic second half. We were completely taken aback by that. Um, but no, I want to add with, uh, with, with Tammy. I mean, I'm in a positive way. I'm pleased for Barkley that he did because of the fact that he had a, a foot problem we, we were rather ignorant about. Um, I think Tammy's should, shouldn't, shouldn't be doing so much dancing in nightclubs then. That's it with his top off and then forgetting to pay taxi, <laughs> taxi drivers and having to be led to... Uh, holds in the wall by policemen. Um, I think it, it Tammy's skillful qualities as well as something that you don't really normally see, um, that combination of everything. He's, he's very skillful on the, 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 he seems to have that ability just to, to wait to nip the ball and then just flick it. I mean, that the, the volley that he almost scored against, um, uh, uh Valencia, uh, with the goalkeeper did a wonderful save it was one of the great sort of moments when I thought God this is a really top striker and he just sneaked in front of the centre half and just got um, his, uh, his instep to it um, from across I can't remember who crossed it maybe in Rhys James but yeah Rhys James Adoy and uh, and him were absolutely fantastic in the second half I was so pleased for Adoy having you know been much better in the second half in the first half against Forest second half they all fell asleep a bit uh, against Forest and then to actually then duplicate that form um, against Burnley was fantastic and they got more and more confident and James just whips in those crosses to die for my goodness me and um, it makes me then of course want somebody on the left hand side to be able to do exactly the same thing and then we'll have uh, an unbelievable strike force. Um, at the moment, it's it's of course it's Dave playing left back, and despite being a fantastic defender, he still um, he still doesn't whip the crosses in. Though of course he he got the cross in for uh, for a doy to score. So um, uh, yeah, uh, it, it's um, times times are looking good if they can keep duplicating this this skill because it was uh, 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 with, with, as you say as Tammy is the focal point uh, very very yeah. um, it, it, I left feeling very <clears throat> enthusiastic about it well me too we're going we're gonna to carry on this uh, love letter to uh, the uh, Chelsea homegrown youngsters in particular after the after after this message from our sponsor really I don't, I don't know if it's a sponsor but uh, I, well it is really because it's you lot but it's not a message from you lot but it's about Patreon because uh uh, it's about right, about now. I have to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to the lovely people who who you know donate uh, some money to us every month uh, to help us cover the cost of doing all this, which is really lovely of you. Um, I know I keep saying it, and I will. I promise. I promise that I will. I'll ha- there'll have to be a forfeit for me if I don't deliver on this. 
somebody out there will have to come up with a forfeit. But uh, I, I know that you're supposed to put all sorts of different content up there, which is especially for the Patreons. And of course, I, I, I always fail singularly to do it other than... Uh, other than get you all bloody, you know, signed Kerry Dixon mini banners, I suppose that's something. And uh, I, I keep getting emails from from you all who have got them saying thank you, we've got them, and there'll be a bit of that later in the email section. But uh, anyway, if you want to uh, if you want to help us out, donate some money. It's easy to do. Just go to Patreon, p a t r e o n dot com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. It's also a good way to get hold of me because you can kind of message me and I and. Uh, it doesn't get lost in the miasma of Twitter and Facebook and all the rest of it, so there's a good chance that I'll reply. And of course, you can, if you've got you know uh, an email or, or, or a question or something you want to have asked in the show, it's also a good route to do that. So there you go. So I commend it to you. Right, uh, we'll be back after the break, and uh, we will be talking more, more about Hudson Adoy and Reese James in particular, and Tammy, uh, as well as Ross Barkley, who Jonathan rightly said had a good game, uh, and we'll also be looking at the defence as well. We'll see you in a sec. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Right, welcome back. It's uh, Stanford Chidge here on the Chelsea Fancast with the absolutely delightful and lovely Jonathan Kidd and uh, and Mr. Joe Tweedy. So there we go. Um, right, we were kind of talking before the break about how good uh, Hudson Adoy and Reese James and Tammy Abraham had been, and uh, one of the thing, couple of things I, I really like most about this combination that we've seemed to have found in the last couple of games, Joe, is that this is something that was certainly made in Chelsea and I think Hudson Odoi said it himself after the Forest game that he and Reese James have been playing down that right hand side since they were kids which is kind of gives you an idea why they you know why it's so symbiotic uh, but but of course you know they also had Mason Mount and uh, well you, you'll correct me if I'm wrong of course but I would imagine they would have had Mason Mount and Tamri Abraham playing as well and you you can see that in some of the play and the other thing Joe is that you know, Frank really, really wants them to play like this. I think this this wing play is something that Frank is very, very keen on. And when he talked about Callum, this is what he had to say. He said, uh, uh, for Callum to score in the six-yard box is more exciting than him scoring from 30 yards. Uh, it means he's willing to get in there. It wasn't the only time he did it. His overall performance was a statement of what he has to do, which tells you that Frank wants the wingers to, to be able to get on the end of things as well. But it's definitely something that was made in Chelsea, wasn't it, Joe? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the starting lineup, I mean, you know, I, I've been a, a very vocal proponent of the academy for for years and years and years, and to see half of that starting, you know, outfield players, Christensen, James Mount, Abraham, and um, Hudson Odoi starting a Premier League game together is it's maybe not so crazy now that we're in December, but if you'd have said to me last season that we would have five academy players starting a, a meaningful Premier League game in, in the same team. I think I probably would have just laughed and, and carried on sort of going about my daily business. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is, and I, I think that if, if this is the pathway that Chelsea are sort of, sort of continuing to kind of walk down in terms of utilising the academy, you will start to see that it's, 
it's not just players that have played together, but it will be, for example, like Ruben and uh, and Reese James, etc. The style of play that they've been brought up from, from like the age of eight until 18, 20, 21, 23, you know, in sort of the age groups that they play for is so similar. And they have such a similar education that their kind of movements, their patterns of, of play, their kind of style, everything about how they play is, is such a product of how they've been coached from from the ages of six, seven, eight until they sort of make it into the first team. But it's almost, uh, for me, we're kind of seeing a manifestation of some of the academy football that we saw from Joe Edwards and Jody Morris now being carried through into the first team. You know, you have the the link up between Hudson Odoi and, and Reese James is fantastic. Tammy Abraham, you know, the way that he's being involved in that as well, Mason Mount. You have all of these players that are so familiar with the movements of each other because they play with each other, but also because they play with similar styles of players and they've, they've got kind of similar patterns and similar movements off the ball. It, it's really kind of a, a, almost a, a, a side and style that is, is entirely sort of being made in, in Cobham at the training ground there, you know, from, from when these are kids until when they start playing in the FA Youth Cup and, and onwards. And, you know, when you start looking at the FA Youth Cup, that's going to be sort of happening now until the end of the season. You'll see you'll see players in there that are so stylistically similar to Reese James, to Ruben Loftus Cheek, to Mason Mount, to, to some of these players that we've seen come through. That it's almost like they they have this kind of conveyor belt of talent now and how to develop players and how to develop modern midfielders. You know, all these guys play. You know, they don't just play holding midfield. They'll play as a number ten. They'll play as a box to box player. They won't just play as a right back. They'll play centre back. They'll play holding midfield. They rotate them into all these different positions. So when they get into the first team. A, they're all comfortable on the ball and comfortable playing in different positions and receiving the ball in different positions. But equally, they're so familiar with the other movements and stuff because they've all played in those roles. So, you know, the more that this sort of happens, the more that these players start breaking into the squad. I think what you're going to see is this sort of fluidity of, of, of link up and, in, and sort of interplay only increase further because, you know, these, this is how these guys have played football for such a period of time. And it's, we're now starting to see some of that benefit in, in the first team. So, of course, Joe, the look- can I just ask a question, Chich? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Joe, is it therefore likely that they will dive into the transfer market knowing that they've got this, this huge, this abundance of, of uh, burgeoning talent coming from the youth area? I think, I think what, this, what this will allow them to do, if this is something that the club commits to, whereas maybe previously we've invested a lot of money on kind of mid-tier players, your sort of Danny Drinkwaters, your Emerson, your Bakayokos, these sorts of players that we've seen in the past come in for big money to be squad players. I think now there will, be, there will be a confidence that they have enough young people coming through. You know, if you look already, uh, we'll maybe talk about him in a second, but Conor Gallagher on loan at Charlton, for example, yeah. perfect modern midfielder. You know, if you're looking at a Terrier who is, who's got technical ability, can score a goal, can run for 90 minutes, can press, can defend, can attack. Now he's, he comes into the, the fold next season. But there is this conveyor belt now of players, which means that they can start focusing, for me at least, on cherry picking the, the top end talent to really kind of supplement what they have. So, you know, go and get a top left back, maybe go and get a top top winger, go and get someone else to, to, to play in midfield, for example, instead of focusing on padding out the squad with these sort of mid-tier players, they can actually just rely on this sort of conveyor belt of talent coming through. And it means that, you know, we don't have to sort of you know, look at these sort of 30, 40 million pound players and get four or five of them every single window. We can focus on a, on getting a bigger player in. Yeah, well, like we're going to talk about that, by the way. So another reason for you not to disappear. Not that you would. Not that you would. I'm not trying to accuse you of anything, but we are going to talk about that in a lot more detail in, in part three because, as I said, we've got the wonderful Joe Tweeds on who knows far more about all this than I will ever know. So there you go. Bottom line is, I'll tell you what, though, uh, chaps, uh, it, it, it's, in a sense, Jonathan, it, it, it's, it's one of the things, you know, that I was really, really hoping for uh, having Frank 
uh, and Joe Edwards and Jody Morris uh, in charge of the team because you know obviously when we had the ban announced we kind of knew we'd have to uh, we'd have to rely on the youth players and who better to integrate them into the first team than Joe Edwards and Jody Morris but it's not just the players it's the playing style and Joe's absolutely bang on with that the, the way that they've been playing through all of the levels in the youth it's kind of like the Ajax model you know that's that's exactly how Ajax did it this is just such a good way to do it and and let's hope we see the the, the fruits of this because the football that the, the youth teams were playing for years and years and years I mean you, you've been to matches like I have they were it was great football wasn't it very different from what was being played by the first team in some instances yeah well that was half the problem there was no joined up thinking what, what would have happened if uh, Frank hadn't Frank and Jody hadn't been available hadn't been at Derby and hadn't had a season um, having a go at doing a, uh, with the championship side I mean uh, good question my mind slightly boggles as to what uh, say they got a, the usual route of a foreign manager? None of these players would have been given an opportunity. Probably not. I mean, Christ knows what we would have done. Uh, because I mean, if you, I mean, Joe's right. I mean, we've had on average four to five, you know, youth products playing consistently in the side, pretty much, you know, all season. So what would they have done? We'd have had Pedro and Giroud up front or something. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to last season, I remember. One of the really fascinating things with, I think Jody was doing a, a game um, and he made a comment about, you know, Sari being, you know, 50 metres away from a pitch where there was an under-19, like, Champions League semi-final being played and he's sitting in his office doing whatever, you know, he kind of evolved. Smoking a fag, mate. Exactly, you know. Um, so <laughs> until you until you get managers in there that, that actually, you know, you've, you've got to want to do it, you know, it's, it's not just a thing that happens. I mean, I've, I've had... You know, loads of arguments about young players in the past where people have said, oh, you know, well, the manager's right and you know, he's obviously not good enough, etc. I used to have arguments with people at like Loftus-Cheek all the time. Oh, he's not oh, good enough. Lewis Baker gonna... was one of your hobby horses. wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, I thought I always thought Lewis could have, uh, could have done something in it if a, if a manager had belief in him. But Ruben was obviously the, the big one for me that I always kind of said from when he was sort of 16 that I think he would be a, a Chelsea first-team player. And people were like, oh, Mourinho didn't fancy him. Conte didn't fancy him. You know, sometimes it takes the right manager in the right circumstances to give the player belief that they actually belong at this level and that they won't get dropped if they have, a, you know, a five-minute cameo that's not that great and sort of never seen of again. Um, I mean, I look at the, the Tarek Lamptey debut at Arsenal. I mean, when, yeah. when did that have ever happened in the past 10 years? Dropping well, a kid in, in a must-win game when you're losing, you know, it's crazy that stuff like that is now happening. And, and it wasn't just minutes for the sake of it. It wasn't just minutes for the sake of it, was it? He came on because he had to do a job. Sorry, Jonathan, I didn't mean to cut across you. No, 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 no just say, I was just saying that Andy played so well of course. Yeah. Great when he came. yeah that's that's yeah. the the thing is they're putting players in who aren't uh, uh who are managing to keep not just keeping their head above water they're 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 part of the setup you can yeah. see that they're confident it's it's yeah. creating a great environment it's um it's it's really interesting what's happening fantastic but the thing i mean the thing with the lamptey thing uh, uh, you know frank apparently you know turned to jody in the game and said is he is he going to is he ready is he is he going to be okay and jody said he's got absolutely no doubt he's perfectly fine don't worry about him put him on boom and there we go proved it absolutely lovely um right to kind of shift emphasis slightly um because uh, I think we really do need to talk about Barkley. I, I seem to recall I was really rude about Barkley last week, basically because I'd kind of given up on him, which is... Uh, Me too. Me yeah, too. Yeah, I think a very unwise thing to do. Just I, That's what I love about football, though, Jonathan, and particularly when we all do shows like this. It has a wonderful habit of making us look completely stupid, and I actually love that because I think... This is the point. I didn't. I, I. I wanted Barkley to prove me wrong. I want him to be a bloody fantastic player for Chelsea because I've loved watching this kid since he broke through 
at Everton and then into the England side when he was very young. And as I said, there were, there were times when Barkley would remind me of, of watching Paul Gascoigne. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to be in the same class as Paul Gascoigne. But, uh, but um, sorry, it's my, uh, my, my landline ringing, but uh, I'm not answering the phone because I'm doing a show, obviously. Yeah, I mean, he reminded me of Paul Gascoigne and the way he kind of runs with the ball and runs at people. And that's just such a rare gift. So I thought he had a really good game yesterday, Jonathan. Got to be honest. Especially the second half. It's the, well, what he normally does is we even mentioned this on Friday in the on the Love Sports Show. Dan did it. I said the problem with Barkley is, and he said he faffs. And I said, yeah, absolutely, he faffs. He gets caught in possession because he doesn't quite know um, what option to take, uh, and he dithers on the ball and uh, and frequently gives the ball away in in really dangerous positions. Um, he didn't do any of that. He, he, well, he started off, they were all a bit tentative, as we've said in the first 20 minutes. And as Frank said, they were nervous. But when it all started flowing, he was a main contributor. At the, um, that huge pass he gave to Adoy for, um, um, for a shot that he had. Which, I mean, just there were constant um, breaking the play up by passing from wing to wing, you know, just stretching it. And the speed they were playing at, he was contributing to. It was a, it was a, a, a much, much better performance from him. And as Frank said afterwards, it's giving me another option. So you just hope that they all start presenting themselves as better and fitter as the season goes on, as we get into the, to the, uh, the you know, the, the later parts of the season when it's getting, getting more essential that he has a squad that can, that can actually perform, especially as we come into the. Uh, uh, into the Champions League but the, the dilemma I have of course is that we were all saying how excellent he was but Burnley were somewhat put to the sword second half and were and seemed to lose confidence so possibly uh, it might not be as good in the next game we just have to 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 take a take a view but the, but the, to actually see him that was the best performance of the season from him and it was very impressive so oh, well, as you said I mean this is this is the other thing which is why we all laugh at Twitter so much uh, when we've got our thinking heads on because none of us three know anything about what's really going on at Cobham or or, or the extent of people's injuries or of course the tried and tested thing is we don't see them on the training ground and it's absolutely true and you know I didn't know that he was still carrying an injury for a while so there you go um the thing is joe um you know can we really say he's back i mean you know what what does a what does barkley have to do and of course i think the other thing that was very interesting and jonathan just touched upon this you know i was a bit i saw the team sheet when when uh, it was released i thought oh my god you got Jorginho, uh, Mason Mount and Barkley. What Kante, of course, was injured, which I didn't know, and uh, I presume he was resting Kovacic, and it kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies. But Jonathan's right. We need, we need, you know, particularly in midfield, good options, don't we? Yeah, and I think really what Barkley, particularly the sort of version that we saw against Burnley, what he adds, and I think what we lack when we play kind of the usual trio in there is he's dynamic. And and the, what I mean by that is, you know, I think Kovacic is, is a great dribbler, but Barkley has that little burst of acceleration. He's got that little bit of power. He can break away from people. He, he hits kind of, for me, he hits a bit more crisper in terms of his passing. I think Jorginho sometimes is a little bit of a floater when he plays some of those kind of crossfield passes. And I think, you know, I think Jonathan alluded to there, one of the balls that he played into Hudson-Odoi was, was a real kind of arrow. And I think, again, you know, when you look at him, and it's a little bit like Oscar for me, when Oscar would have a great game. And you would be like, this is the player that, you know, people were saying is the second coming of Kaka. And he had this amazing game. 
and then he'd kind of go dis- and sort of some games he would be caca yeah exactly not, yeah, but different kind of caca <laughs> exactly yeah and then he'd be literal caca for, for yeah. 10 games and I think for Barkley it's always been a question about consistency and I think that's why I think people give him a hard time is because there's so much ability there and we have seen it in fits and starts at Chelsea but you know, I'm not sure if he's put two or three really good games together in a row. It might also be because, you know, because he's not been played in, in sort of three games consistently. But you would like to think that if this if this is the version of Barkley that we had on a regular basis, what what a fantastic option either A from the bench or to start. And I think what Lampard showed, particularly with the Mount and Barkley selections, was that now when we play some of these teams that are going to sit back and just ask us to break players down, maybe he's willing to take the gamble just say, OK, what I'm going to do is play two much more forward-thinking players in those two sort of central midfield roles, guys who are more comfortable in the final third, have got a bit more of an eye for a pass, a bit more of a threat, and put Jorginho there and just say, we're going to take the gamble. We're just going to see if we can get away with having that little bit more kind of technical ability, a little bit more flair, a little bit more vision and, and nous in the final third, and just see what happens. And I think really, you know, sort of particularly over the second half, and I think Barkley kind of really got into his stride, you know, we kind of saw Burnley's inability to deal with having both Mount, who I also felt had a really good game, and Barkley, you know, kind of picking the ball up in both sort of left and right-hand side uh, pockets of space that we're getting. Normally, it's just one player. Normally, it's Kovacic or Kante. You know, they, they kind of dovetail, whereas this time we were just literally pressing both of the midfielders as, as high up as they could possibly go and actually starting to ask questions of Burnley. And I think that actually is something that Lampard will probably look to in the future when teams come and sit is, can I play two much more aggressive attacking players in those roles and see, see kind of what the, the benefit is? Because against Burnley, it definitely worked. Mm, good Can point. I just ask, what was the selection process in his mind about putting both Tamori and Zuma on the bench and playing Christensen? Was that as an answer to uh, the fact that there's been talk about him being transferred? What was that? Because uh, uh, it seemed that seemed also a strange selection when I saw them coming out on the pitch. What, you mean you mean, you mean Christensen? Yeah, Christensen yeah. playing. Well, in, I, I, I heard that, that Tamori was, was carrying an injury and yeah. Zuma was being rested. But that, again, shocked the hell out of me because the last person I really wanted to see in defence against Burnley, yeah. who we knew would be physical, was Christian. And yet he had, I thought he had a really good game, mate. Corker I've got to be honest. Yeah. Corker. Absolute corker of a game. Yeah, he, he, he didn't... We, he and Wood really battled it out. It was really interesting. I thought but the I referee was an absolute prick, by the way, because... Uh, Wood kept on making a back for uh, Christensen, yes. who was getting yes. caught out, and he kept on penalising Christensen. How ignorant do these... Re- I mean, it was Kevin Friend, to be fair, who's a complete <laughs> retard. But, I mean, how can they... I mean, how can they not understand the game, Jonathan, to that extent? I know. Jesus I know. Christ. Well, in this sense, he was being very clever, Wood, because he was he was hardly doing anything. So he just backs in. And he waits for the centre-half to... Because if he backs in far enough, the centre-half to get the ball will have to go over his back. Yeah, but it, it, it's, it, it's not it's a, a foul. It's one man. of the oldest things in the world. You I know. know. You just, you know um, what, I, what, I, what I used to do when I was told to do with that instance was actually just to ignore it and let him get on with it because well, they're both probably fouling, fouling each other. But he made a decision every time that it was Christensen's fault. I know. But they, they have to be seen refs to making decisions sometimes. It's just... I, you know, you know my views. It's just becoming ridiculous. And he similarly was too far away on several occasions. Um, it, it's this business of, of of just they've got to be on top of the game more, not run the diagonal. But they are they are having such difficulty because the linesmen are so scared of making decisions about anything. 
that if they, you can see them deferring non-stop, looking at the ref to say, shall I give that one or not? And you just think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a climate of fear, unfortunately. But, well, know. I mean, I'd have been tempted to have penalised Wood, but I am obviously biased, so there you go. No, um, no, 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 but either way, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult one, you know, because in some instances he is deliberately making a back. And he's, he's pushing into him. On other occasions, you could say Christensen had got ahead of him and was possibly therefore pushing him. But, you know, it's... it's, it's Swings and roundabouts, really, isn't it? I mean, the bottom line is, uh, Joe, is that Christensen, you know, coped surprisingly with the physicality. Because, I mean, if there's been a criticism of him this season, it's, he's looked a bit, a bit weak, frankly. But uh, I thought it was really interesting... And this has been this has been grinding my gears for the last few weeks because I, I love Rudiger. I love so many things about him. I like his leadership. I like his passion. I like the fact that he gets people going. I like the fact that he's got pace. I like the fact that he's a, a unit and he can tackle. Love his physicality. But I've got to say, mate, having watched the likes of even Zuma, who who I don't think is the best footballer in the world, but certainly Tamori and Christensen, it, it it you know it shows you that Rudiger's distribution pales into uh, insignificance compared to theirs and this bloody mindless punting the ball 40 yards up trying to pick a pass that goes straight to touch he's not David Luiz is he no he's, he's not going to be confused for him anytime soon um well true I, yeah <laughs> I mean I think one of the one of the problems that, that Chelsea have had when they've kind of gone with this Tomori and, and sort of Zuma partnership I, I think that they're they're never going to a they're never going to get beat over the top and and physically I think they're fantastic but when, when we've kind of seen teams almost asking questions to say, okay, you, you pick a pass into the forward or you pick a pass into the midfielders and not go through Jorginho or one of the holding players. And I think, again, that, that's kind of where we stop. So I can sort of see the, the move to try and sort of facilitate a, a, a kind of partnership that has Andreas Christensen in there because I, I think he's probably the most comfortable player we have on the ball. Mm. Um, the challenge, I think, you know, Lampard said a little while ago, was as you kind of alluded to, is physicality. And I think when he plays in a two... You know, if he's playing against a relatively physical forward, the, the one fault he has is he gets pinned. You know, the, the forward kind of backs in and kind of almost locks him into place. And it's very easy for them to hit him and then bring other players into play. And I think what the, the, the challenge will be is, is that if Christensen is now on an arc where, you know, he, he's going to become a bit stronger, I think he, he does need to add a bit of bit of size to his game if he's going to be a, a Premier League centre-back in the two. But the, the game against Burnley, I thought he was he was exceptional. Probably the best game he's played in the two in the Premier League for for, for quite some time. But yeah, I mean, you, you know, these these kind of Hollywood balls that that Rudiger plays. You know, if you if you don't have it in your locker, you, you know, he's an experienced player. He must know by now that he doesn't have the 40, 50, 60 yarder off of both feet into, you know, into players. He must know that that's not part of his game. So take a step back and just play, just keep the ball, keep it simple. He did it against Arsenal as well, which was a bit frustrating at times when we were kind of in the lead, you know, he kept sort of looking for these Hollywood passes and you're just like, just, just, you know, take it easy, keep possession. Um, but I think, again, it's partly probably why there are some rumours about Chelsea looking for centre-backs because I think Lamps wants someone in there that is a bit more of a baller that can play, um, both those sort of short, intermediate and, and long passes as well. But, you know, m- maybe there won't be some that they get in January, but I, I would say in the summer that certainly that they will be looking for, for someone to play in there um, with, with whoever the partner is going to be. Well, I mean, it's, you know, I've got nothing against Rudiger, but you're right. I mean, I, I, I think it was the Arsenal game. If it wasn't the Arsenal game, it might have been Spurs, I forget. But One of the two, yeah. Yeah, uh, there were so many times when, when uh, Jorginho had dropped deeper to receive the ball and Rudiger completely ignored him and just walloped the ball 
40 yards upfield to nobody in particular and quite invariably out into touch. Now, I've got no problem, you know, mixing it up. In fact, absolutely, that's what you should do. Otherwise, you become completely predictable. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with a punt forward to a decent striker like, you know, going direct, basically, to mix it up. But not if you can't do it, like you said, Joe, and certainly not (laughs) if you're going to boot it into touch. Jonathan, uh, uh, you know, am I being a bit of a misery guts about Rudiger or have I got it right? No, I think you've got it absolutely right. I think it's um, an enormous problem because um, we, we've been praising him for his aggressive attitude and saying that's what's been needed uh, in the back four because Zuma doesn't quite have that approach. Um, in fact, Zuma has, come, uh, has, has exceeded my expectations completely. This yeah, year. me I think too. He's been... Uh, He's been uh, terrific um, and it's skillful on the ball and, and fearless and some fantastic tackles and blocks. And um, uh, but it's Rudiger's slightly um, a loose cannon. And uh, uh, and as you say, this booting the ball up, up the pitch uh, frequently and to, to no avail is just weird. Um, so it may be that. That's the position that Frank thinks needs to be filled. I, I'm, you know, we. I know that you know. Looking at the side, looking at what what Frank aspires to is everybody to be a ball player and the ball to be played at great speed. I think even Tammy this this evening in the Standard said that that's what they need to be playing everything at, at much more quickly, and that's what they achieved, especially in the second half um, on Saturday. Just the ball just constantly being pushed and pushed and pushed uh, at greater speed, um, and. Uh, uh, if your centre half just repeatedly boots the ball into touch or ahead of you, it's 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 not going to work, you know. So uh, he's got to improve it in some way. But perhaps that's a, a question of his touch, you know. It's 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 his attitude is great. I love it. Yeah. I love his yeah. approach. But it's um it's we've looked gonna, a lot. You know, looking for perfection here in the side as always. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, we we've looked a lot. I mean, here's the thing. With, since Rudy has been back, we've we, I think we've looked a lot more solid, and I don't think that's any accident. And I think I mean, I just. One thing we were crying out for, not just earlier on this season, but certainly most of last season, is, is leadership. And I think that Rudiger absolutely brings that. And he, he barks at everybody in the defence, and you need that. And, and I mean, I love everything about him, but I just I just think, you know, as I said, I don't have a problem with a central defender, you know, going on a punt and knocking it 40 yards up the field. And I think actually particularly, um, you know, for example, go back to the Arsenal game, you know, they did very well that first half an hour, if you remember, and they were pressing us really, really yeah. high. Yeah. And if you've got a team doing that, then a good ball over the top. To, you've got Callum Hudson-Odoi, Pulisic, you've got Mason Mount, he's no slouch, you've got Abraham. I mean, we, we are lethal on the counter-attack because we're so quick up front. So a ball like that can be brilliant, but you've got to bloody play it in an area they can get it. And they can't get it when it's gone into touch. That's my only issue. Um Right, I'm going to round this part up with a, a few interesting stats. Not least the first, uh, the first one uh, about um, uh, the fact that we had no subs, which is rather weird, wasn't it? I mean, apparently it's the first time since October 2009 that Chelsea have not made a sub during a game in the Premier League. How utterly bizarre! Uh, and uh, while we're talking about the defence, here's another one. Actually, uh, no defender has had a hand in more goals in all competitions this season. Then Cesar Aspilicueta, three goals and three assists, Joe. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's turning into Cafu in his old age. Well, there we go. I mean, poor old Aspi. I think he gets a very hard time. but He does, yeah. I, and undeserved, you know. He's a great servant for the club and he, he does all right. Cross, Chich, he can't cross. He needs to whip the ball in quicker. That's the only problem we have with him. He's a great servant and a great defender. I agree with you. 
Yeah, but I mean, you know, we 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 kind of actually we we forgot to talk about Reese James and all of our excitement about the youth and everything else. Uh, and it's a very good comparison to make, actually. And well done, Jonathan. You're such a genius. You you didn't even know that, that was in my head, and you you called it. I but, am a telepath, uh, Chidge. You are a telepath. Yeah. You are you are you are a telepath. Anyway, so uh, you're right. I mean, I think you know, with Reese James, you've got this remarkable, remarkable kid. I mean, he's what? How old is he, Joe? Nineteen. Yeah. Yeah, 19 years old. He's built like a brick shit house. I mean, people bounce off him. He's got pace to burn. He can. I mean, Jonathan and I have been talking for weeks about uh, his delivery of a ball, these whipped crosses that he gets in. And there were so many on Saturday. I think it was a real feature of the game. Uh, you know, uh, that the, he, he also passed to William to get the penalty. Um, so he's brilliant. Uh, but, I mean,. We were, we were criticising him a bit earlier on the season because we're not entirely sure about his ability to get back and and defend. But I, I'm, you know, I, as I said, I had a very different view of the game than I normally do because I was a lot closer to it. And I have to say, Joe, I, I think he's... I mean, this is the thing we've got to bear in mind with these youngsters is that they're not the finished article and they're learning. But the trick is, can they keep developing and learning and improving? And I think you... I've certainly seen improvements in Reese James's defending. Yeah, and I think it comes down to really, I think the one thing that that comes across with, with James in particular is he's such a kind of grounded individual. And I mean, his his dad, I mean, he's he's been on a few podcasts and stuff like that. You hear the, the sort of the way that he talks about his son, you know, he's such a just a down to earth person. He takes everything on board. And I would say probably from maybe 15, 16, I kind of first sort of took notice of him because, you know, a lot of the hype was around sort of Dijon Sterling and a few other players in the academy. And then all of a sudden, you know, this kind of, this sort of tank emerged in the back at Chelsea. And, and this kid, you know, Rhys James, who everyone then started saying, you know, he's he's sort of a prospect to look at. You know, let's not forget that when he and Callum were in the same youth side, you know, Rhys was the one who won the player of the year. And a lot of people thought that it would have been Callum who won it. And, you know, he goes to Wigan. He's their player of the year, you know, captain the last game of the season. I think every single time he's been met with a hurdle to grow, he's shown developed like in a massive sort of, you know, development in, in a very short space of time. And, I think now for him, it's it's a question of getting those sort of minutes in the Premier League, in the Champions League, to sort of get accustomed to playing at that level. And, you know, I think he's he's one of these players where, you know, if you were to create a, a modern fullback with, with that skill set, you know, they have to be someone who is obviously very good defensively, but they have to almost be as, as good and technically sound as a, as a central midfielder when they're playing in midfield. They have to be, you know, like an auxiliary winger, the ability to beat a man, to put a cross in. You know, they have, in, in kind of modern football, they're some of the better players on the pitch. You look at sort of Liverpool system and, and, and Robinson and, and, and how Trent Alexander-Arnold have kind of almost sort of defined that, that style of play that Klopp has put in there. And I think Rhys James in particular could be, you know, a little bit of a transformational player at Chelsea because he's such a weapon. And I think the thing that maybe separates him from most fullbacks is you watch him make runs. He underlaps a lot of times. So he actually likes coming inside, you know, sort of the, the wingers. So it's a little bit of a different problem because we've seen him play midfield for Wigan last season and he's so comfortable in those areas that now teams uh, a little bit like, it's kind of how do you defend him? Do you push you push your, your kind of holding player over to kind of account for it? Then he can go around the outside. You try and get your fullback to push there and then it leaves Callum spare. I think he poses so many problems because his ability to deliver the ball, it's not just from the byline. We've seen him put some insane crosses in from really weird positions just because of, of, of that sort of natural ability he has. So I think that, you know, he is, you know, one of those players that I think in, in three, four years' time, we're going to look at as, as someone who could be a Chelsea captain. Um, he's had that ability to lead 
you know, he's, he's, he's not one of these players that is, is going to be taking a step back from anyone. We've seen that at Wigan. We've seen that in the academy. He's always one of the first players, if anything, sort of kicks off as well. So he's got a little bit, a bit of that in him as well. It's just a question now of him getting adjusted to, to the Premier League for me because I think he's going to be exceptional. Yeah, he's, he's a real, really, really good footballer. All right, we're going to... Wonderful. Uh, di- yeah, isn't he, Jonathan? We're going to disappear for a quick break. But uh, uh, after that, uh, we are going to come back and talk to Joe uh, and get pick his very large large brain about not just the, the youth this season, but uh, perhaps what's coming further down the line. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, the Newcastle match next weekend. Uh, and also there's a, you know the, the fixtures to come because there's some interesting fixtures coming up. Uh, but before all that, talking of uh, adaptable uh, and uh, you know multifaceted, multi-talented players, um, I've just uh, released another one of the Chelsea specials, uh, this time with a lovely Johnny Boyle, uh, who of course was a member of Chelsea's uh, European Cup winners Cup winners side, also uh, the 1970 FA Cup final. Uh, he also actually won a League Cup with Chelsea in 65 and lost in the 67 Cup final to Spurs. But he is an absolutely delightful, delightful man. I mean, he's got this lovely soft Scottish brogue. I sat down and talked to him for about an hour and a half. And I'm a more, a more gentle, a gentle man, but lovely. But he had some really interesting views. And in fact, funny enough, like, like us all, but particularly Joe, he is a massive fan of the youth and was getting quite aerated about why they weren't getting a chance and how happy he is to, to see them getting a chance. Because, of course, he was the equivalent of uh, what we're seeing now because he broke through into Chelsea's side when he was 18. So, you know, he knows what that's all about. So a really, really interesting interview. And he talks about all the managers he played for, some of the players like Ozzy, compared Ozzy to Johan Cruyff. I mean, this is just like insane. There's some brilliant stuff in there. So I commend that to you. And of course, there are many others too. I mean, we, we, we're doing mainly players, but we also released one the other week uh, featuring Danny Eccles-Harkins, the leader of the Shed End uh, back in the 60s and 70s. But we've done Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tambling, Chopper Harris, Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Bumpstead, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates, Canners, and there will be more further down the line. Now, you can download all of them at chelseaspecial.podbean.com. Uh, there's a small charge for each one because we've, we've spent a fair bit of money uh, you know, paying the players predominantly, but all sorts of other costs too. Uh, so they're two ninety nine each, uh, and you just have to go, as I said, to chelseaspecial.podbean.com, and then you click on buy, the, buy single episode now, and then you can listen to it or download it. Uh, and have it forever uh, and we've also got a website which of course is chelseaspecial.com and we're on twitter at chelsea underscore special all the links for these directly to them will be on on the on the website and chelsea underscore special on twitter and we're also on facebook we've got a facebook page too uh, so there you go so i really do commend it to you jonathan jonathan that the uh the uh johnny boyle interview is just brilliant mate i've got to say you must have seen him play i did i did he was uh he was a typical Tommy Dock boy, actually. He was uh, um, aggressive, combative, uh, uh, lovely passer of the ball. Um, and I've met him subsequently. And as you say, he's a lovely man. Isn't so, he? Uh, yeah. 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 Excellent. Excellent. He's, he's very sadly been kind of, I don't know, cut Side, out. Of slightly the... sidelined. Yeah. 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 So from the club and everything. But he's massively into the fans. You know, a lot of the fans have... He didn't because he didn't. He wasn't in the nineteen seventy cup final, so um, no, he was injured, wasn't he? Yeah, as was Hudson. So there's almost a a kind of uh, um, they've been excluded from that, um, uh, and that was a kind of very pivotal 
time, obviously, because it was the first FA Cup to that they they won. So, um, but yeah, but a big 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 part of the seventy. Well, he played in the seventy one Cup final. A big part of the uh, of all the rounds before it. Um, uh, in, in which Hudson was in that time, of course, as well as Derek Smithhurst, of course, played in the final. Uh, wonder what happened to him. Should look him up. Um, and Keith Weller, another great player, who uh, because of the the financial problems, then got sold to Leicester, which was he was such a shame. He was such a. I was little enough, you know, and you just embrace a player's skill. Remember thinking, oh, I can't believe they've sold him, but they as they sold everybody in the end. But Weller in particular was a fabulous player. And Johnny Boyle was part of that setup. No, very, very combative, very skillful. Um, you know, in the kind of tradition of uh, Mickey Thomas and Johnny Bumpstead. Um, just very, you know, uh, use the cliche expression, very on the ball, very involved, you know, but but combative, very rumbustious, you know, would get would get worked up by by. He wasn't scared of putting it about as well, you know, just uh, a really terrific player. Excellent. Well, thank you, Jonathan. This is exactly why, you know, I love talking about the Chelsea specials. You know, I give them a bit of a plug, but I mean, I get this insight from you, which is wonderful because a lot of these players, you know, I mean, I, um, Johnny Boyle's debut was in the year I was born, so I never got the chance to see a lot of them play, but there you go. Excellent. Right, we'll be back very shortly, and as I said, we'll be talking about Chelsea's youth and uh, Newcastle away. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. 
Right, welcome back. Stanford Chidge here, and it is the Chelsea Fancast. We've kind of just had our half-time break. Uh, uh, Jonathan's been sucking on a lemon, haven't you, Jonathan? Oh, yes, very much so. I may say that I rather like lemons. Yep, OK. I'll provide the tequila next time, and Joe's had a nice glass of champagne at half-time, as is his one. <laughs> Yeah, of course, yes. Yeah. Champagne socialist and all that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, of course. Why not? Uh, and there we go. Um, right, OK. Um, part three. This is going to all be about the youth, Chelsea youth, because we've got Joe on the show, and there's nobody um, who knows more about Chelsea youth than Joe other than possibly Chelsea, Chelsea youth. youth himself, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually, on, on this very point, as we've mentioned Chelsea youth, because uh, I, I bumped into the lovely Margaret Wittich uh, at the stall on Saturday, and she was very aerated about the lack of promotion. She, I think she was saying the club are not doing a lot to promote the youth games and, and everything to do with the youth therein at the moment. Um, and she, she, she mentioned Chelsea youth, actually, and I said, you know, I, I said we've been really remiss because, I, I you know, I, I, I don't think I've talked to him, but I mean, obviously I've known him on Twitter for a very, very long time. Uh, and I've talked to him years and years and years ago and said, oh, we must get you on the show, we must get you on the show. And he was always very... And I've never have. So I, anyway, I look at bloody London is Blue the other day. Who do they have on the show? Chelsea bloody you, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they, they, have a, they, they have a pretty uh, good network these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're just, the club, you know, yeah. mate, they're, mate, they're just a fucking boy band of podcasters, you know. <laughs> Put a put an ad put an advert. Yeah, they are. They are. You know, they put out an advert on Twitter. Please, I'm looking for Chelsea friends to do a podcast. <laughs> you know, that that's it, man. You know, they're not they're like not like us. You know, we ha- we actually know each other. We met in a pub. You know, and uh, probably in a gutter. Yeah, in a gutter. In a, yeah, in a in a gutter. In my case, but there you go. No, I love them all. Really, it's well worth a listen. By the way, I gave it a listen, and uh, Chelsea Youth is phenomenal. Uh, we'll we'll get them on the the only real uh, Chelsea podcast probably in about ten years' time when I've retired. Anyway, I'm I'm waffling on as I always do. Um, right. The point is, Joe. Um, actually, this was I was going to ask you about the, the youth and what's going on anyway. Actually, um, because you know I knew we were going to have you on the show, and of course we only got the one game to talk about really this week, so that kind of helps. But uh, as as luck would have it. Um, I, I got a question that was asked, uh, which came via Twitter from a guy called Farmers Fight at Howdy A G S S E C. Brilliant Twitter handle. I have no idea what it means, but he, this is the question he asked. He said, "Much of the transfer talk centres on players that will make a difference in the first team. Fingers crossed. But now that we're seeing youth break through successfully in the first team, who are some promising youth that we've either signed recently or hope to? Or, of course, I would imagine, and this is kind of where my question comes in, who are the next in line? Who's the next lot to break through, do you think? Well, it's a good question. Um, so I, I have a sort of general rule of thumb. that I, I don't try to talk players up until they're kind of eligible for their fair youth cup. And that's primarily because I, I, I try not to put sort of undue pressure on sort of 16-year-olds before they... Uh, they've kind of arrived in sort of the youth sphere as, a, as an FA Youth Cup player. But uh, the the kind of the group that we've got coming into the, the the sort of competition at the moment may be one of the most talented probably that we've had ever. And I don't say that kind of lightly looking at some of the players that we've, we've produced. Um, there's probably probably six maybe that I think have, have got really, really kind of top tier potential. Um, people are maybe familiar with, with Tino Andrin, who, who obviously played a little bit, little bit earlier in the season. Um for me, he, he looks like the, the modern prototypical central midfielder. He'll probably be the, 
the captain of the of the youth team. He has phenomenal ability to dribble. He's got a great eye for a pass. He scores goals. You know, I think people saw the sort of size of him as well, at, at kind of a 17, 18 year old when he came on for his uh, his his first team debut. You know, he's already got that loftus cheek style physique about him as a young as a young man. Um, I think he is is potentially someone to look out for because I, I just think that the sky really is the limit for him. Um, Maybe probably the best name in the Chelsea Academy, Valentino Livramento, who uh, who sounds potentially like someone that we've got from Italy. He's actually from Croydon. Um, <laughs> yeah. Of course, he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, bit of a bit, bit of a South London lad. Um, obviously, you know, f- fairly obvious Italian heritage yeah. there. But again, an- another right back that we seem to produce with you know Reese James and Tarek Lamptey, and he's a little bit different in that he's he's built a bit like Reese in terms of that sort of physique. But he he would be for me more like an Ivanovic right back, big, powerful, you know, kind of a, an up and down player, an absolute tank. And I think he was also one of these uh, Guardian top 100 sort of players to look out for this this next gen feature they do as well. So he's someone that I've been impressed with. Again, another sort of England youth international. Very, very rarely do you see anyone kind of get kind of anywhere near him in terms of playing. And then really we've, we've kind of got a trio of, of midfielders who I think are really promising, particularly I think sort of the way kind of modern football is going is that you have... You know, midfield is, is becoming a very physical area. You're seeing kind of less sort of creative number 10s and sort of attacking midfield. You're seeing kind of more box-to-box kind of all-action players. And, you know, there's there's two in particular. I think you've got Lewis Bate and a guy called, uh, Z- I think it's Z- Xavier Simmons or Xavier Simons. Um, they kind of play sort of the controlling role in midfield. They're really aggressive. They're great ball winners. They're great passers. Um, I think Bate in particular looks a bit special and, and someone that could play potentially for, for Chelsea in the future. He just has... He has all of that sort of like style and control that you'd maybe see in, in a like a Jorginho type player, but he's so much more aggressive in terms of winning the ball. He flies into tackles. You know, he's, he's, he really takes pride in, in, in kind of recovering the ball. So I really like the look of him. And, and Simons, again, is just, he's, he's a really, really classy midfield player. Reminds me a little bit of, of, a, of kind of a Billy Gilmore, a Charlie Colkett, that sort of cultured player, again, but also very, very good at winning the ball. Um, and, and lastly, probably a guy that I, I particularly like, mainly because I, I want to see a Chelsea team full of double-barreled surnames. But you have Miles um, <laughs> Park Harris. He's a another sort of midfielder, very similar to Tino Andrew. Not as tall, maybe a little bit more like Essien in terms of physique, kind of a little bit shorter, a bit stockier. Um, you know, has played on the wing, has played as a number ten, has played as a box-to-box player. And I think you know he's another one on this sort of conveyor belt of, of kind of tank midfield players that Chelsea are starting to produce. Ruben being one, Tino being another, and, and Miles being sort of the third in the line. I think he's he's sort of just turned seventeen, so he's he's one of these players that I think maybe is is going to be more of a feature next season in the FA Youth Cup. But I think again, you know, a very very special talent. Great, great at sort of carrying the ball through the midfield. Really, really good eye for a pass. Scores goals. Um, excellent link-up play as well. There, there's a goal that I think they, um, I think it was uh, Tino Andrin scored against Arsenal earlier this season, where him and uh, Park Harris just sort of played triangles around Arsenal's midfield before before Andrin scored. But again, a really, really great player. And then probably the last one I think people are familiar with again is the, is the Dutch lad, Ian Matson. Um, mm. you know, given given Chelsea's left back issues, you know, I think that that he. Is, is someone to, to take a look at. You know, they were they were confident enough to let... Um, I, can't, I literally forgot the guy's name now. Um, what's the guy's name? He's gone to Ajax on loan. Uh, Juan, Juan Castillo, sorry. Yeah, they, they, let, they were confident enough to let him go to Ajax um, on loan with a, with a potential, you know, kind of buy clause in the uh, in the contract as well. And I think Matson is, is, for me, a little bit of the better prospect as a, as a left-back. And I think, again, you know, 
similar to a Tarek Lamptey, similar to so a lot of fullbacks that we've produced. You know, he's a great, great footballer first and foremost. But I think again, you know, in in this setup, um, he's a very, very dangerous player. And, and the, the thing to note with this under 18 side, I think they might have lost one game all season. They're comfortably top of the the league at the moment. I think from from looking at it last time I checked. Um, probably one of the favourites of the competition. But if, if they turn up and play as well as they should do, this should be, you know, I think, probably one of the more exciting Youth Cup teams we've seen. Particularly, I think Tino Andrin is, is one of those players that may maybe has a, a breakout competition and becomes sort of the next talent that people in England are looking at to, to establish himself at the club because he could, just on his sort of physique and his technical ability alone, he maybe doesn't have to be one of those players that goes out on loan and learns to play the adult game. He can maybe come in and, and sort of start kind of feeding his way into the into the first team pitch. I think he's got the ability. He's definitely got the physique. It's just a question of obviously in terms of him him getting some minutes and some time. But he he's the he's the headline player for me. I think there are, there are a number of guys in this in this team that have potential. And given the, the kind of the the way that sort of Lampard and Morris and Edwards are sort of looking at these guys now, you know, they're not afraid to put them in. I think that's an added incentive for them to kind of show up and show out in these in these kind of high profile games. So I'm I'm really expecting them to to play well and, and rise to the occasion. Um, but yeah, Andrin for me is, is the standout and, and probably closely, really, really closely followed by Lewis Bate, who I think is is possibly a, 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 another future Chelsea first-team player in that kind of holding midfield area. Hmm. Um, the question I, w- I would also have, um, I've got loads of questions actually, Joe, but the first one would be, how are we looking uh, for strikers? Because, I mean, Tammy Abraham, of course, you know, was tearing it up through every level, wasn't he, in the youth side? I mean, you know, even ignorant uh, people like me knew who Tammy Abraham was yep. well before he broke into the first side. Uh, but they are literally like gold dust. And, and I remember before Tammy came into the side, it was very much the case, well, who have we got in the youth who could come in? And these were the days when we were looking to kind of supplement the squad full of old people. But, you know, who, have we got any potential strikers that, that look like they might be good enough? Yeah, there's a guy out front at the moment, um, Armando Broja. Um, he's, I'm a little bit torn in two minds with him because at under 18 level, he's a bit of a bully. He reminds me a little bit of Diego Costa in terms of his style. He's a little bit old school. He's a little bit of a throwback. You know, he's he's very physical for his age. He's a great, you know, great finisher, great goal scorer, really forces a lot of mistakes. If you see a lot of the the goals that Chelsea have scored this season. You know, he, he he's pressed. Albanian too, isn't yes. he? Yes. Yeah, he's he's you know, he's he's a bit of a lunatic. So he has this kind of edge to him. But I think when when I've kind of seen him maybe step up to sort of the under twenty threes and Premier League two, hasn't quite had the same impact. And that might be purely down to his age. Um but he's an interesting one because he definitely at this I think he's got seventy or eighteen goals already for the Academy this season. He's definitely in the under eighteens, one of the premier kind of strikers in the in the sort of competition that, that, that they play in. It's just a question of whether that translates to adult football because you know, he, he's very much a, a kind of adult in a sort of an adult's body playing against guys who maybe are not as physical as him at the moment and whether that translates to playing against 25-year-olds, 26-year-olds, I'm not sure. But certainly someone at the moment in the Youth Cup who will likely lead the line, likely score a lot of goals, probably get a lot of headlines. But I think the question will be whether that translates fully to to adult football at this point. It may be as he grows and gets gets more sort of into his into his physique and gets into his twenties that he actually looks apart. But it's it's just a question at the moment whether he relies too much on the physical side of his game to be successful as a as an adult um, in terms mm-hmm. of adult football. But at the moment, if you look at him as an a purely as an under eighteen player, he's very exciting. Interesting. Um, one thing I would say about the youth, uh, funnily enough, I'm, I'm in the website at the moment, uh, which is quite uh, revealing. I mean, uh, the, the first thing to say is that 
uh, Neil Barth is still head of youth development, which of course is brilliant yep. because of course Neil's almost single-handedly been responsible for everything that we've done in the youth for years and years and years. But I'm really delighted to also see that Andy Myers is a is a head coach at the development squad. John Harley, I didn't realise John Harley was back, but he's a yep. development squad assistant. And of course, most of us know that, that Claude McAlealy is in there in some kind of role, technical mentor, whatever that means. Um, so not only you know have we got Neil Barth, who's the architect of all of this, but we're, it's really good, I think, to see you know players coming back like Jody Morris did. You know who are really who get the club. And I mean, I know that we often bandy this phrase about oh, you know they get the club. It's really important, but it is important, isn't it? But not just yeah. players like John Harley and Andy Myers, but, I mean, Claude McAlealy. I mean, Jesus, he was one of the best players in his position. Well, he invented the bloody role. I mean, yeah. you know, to have somebody like that coming back is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, I think Ashley Cole, I think he's also looking, I don't know if he does the under-16s or something at the moment as well, so he's he's yeah. come back into the fold. And, you know, you have also, I think, you know, you've got players who have been at Chelsea and maybe not, you know, their career hasn't panned out as they wanted, like Joe Edwards obviously being the, the prime case, but uh, James Simmons... Was another talented young player. I think he he played a little bit in Chelsea's academy. I think he might have gone to, to sort of QPR and done a few bits elsewhere. But again, he's another one that the club are looking at as one of these sort of very exciting, talented bunch of uh, of coaches they have there. So it's not just always the, the kind of the high profile ex players coming back, but they also seem to be able to to find players who maybe haven't had the career they've wanted to, but they they they're smart. They understand the game. They're often these kind of intelligent players and they've actually kind of almost repurposed them as coaches of the young players. And then kind of they're also actually graduating them through to the to the, the the sort of the coaching ranks as well. I mean, it's not just obviously these guys. You look at Brendan Rodgers, you know, Neil uh, Clements, you know, there, there's lots of coaches that have been at Chelsea who have gone on to to do bigger and better things as well. So it's it's a pipeline for for young players. So it's also increasingly becoming a pipeline for for young uh, coaches to kind of really develop and show their their metal as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the, the culture that they've established and, you know, Neil Barth really gets a lot of a lot of credit for this is, is phenomenal. Um, you know, I think if you look at the, there was an amazing article that I was speaking of Chelsea youth, I think he wrote about, you know, this unprecedented you know, decade of success that Chelsea had done. It's like five or six FA youth cups, like a million league titles, you know, even like down to like the under eights are going to sort of European tournaments and playing Barcelona off the pitch and stuff like that. So, you have to hope that, that now that the club seem to be tapping into this a lot more, that you know actually we're probably in a pretty good position if this is this is the way that the club is going to be heading because it's not just the the obvious success of the youth cups and stuff like that. You have you have teams that are you know under 13 Premier League tournaments who are going to to Russia and, and beating Madrid, PSG, and whoever on the way to the final and, and comfortably winning things. So it's a culture that they've they've started that they've really ingrained and, and hopefully now we're going to start seeing the benefits with guys like Tammy and Mason and Reese and all these sorts of names that we know of. And over the next few years, you know, it, it probably will be more important for people, people to pay attention to things like the Youth Cup because now finally these kids are going to start getting a chance in the in the team. Excellent mm, stuff. Now, uh, kind of, we're going to go forwards before we go back again. Uh, or is it back to go forwards? I can't quite make up my mind. But uh, I know Jonathan's very keen to talk about arguably perhaps the most famous uh player to come from the academy uh you know in in this generation of course that's Ruben Loftus-Cheek Jonathan who was the only one really to kind of get a good go at at breaking into the team and then very cruelly and sadly uh got injured in that stupid game over in America on a appalling pitch let's let's not get too bitchy but uh everybody's asking about you know when he's going to be back and I've got to be honest you know that article that came out saying that his calves had reduced in size. They still 
probably twice the size of my thighs. But <laughs> you know, I, I've you you and I have been consistent on this, haven't we, J.K.? Because yeah. we're old and we've been around the block. And we remember the days when an injury like uh, Loftus Cheeks would have actually finished your career. Yeah. You'd have found yourself in a plaster cast for six, seven, eight months, and that would be game over. So it's no surprise to us that he's he's taking it's taking a long time for him to come back. My big fear, of course, is that will he ever come back the same player? But uh, you know, I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are. Well, no, I just think the psychological problems are coming back, which we've seen, we've seen in in Hudson Odoi to an extent. It, yeah, it, definitely. It, 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 you know, even I think there was um, in the Forest game, he got a tweak and he got really worried in the end of the first half because he, he, there's this fear that you're going to duplicate what you've done before, even though it's immensely unlikely. Um, and we're only now seeing, I think, uh, Hudson Odoi playing as well as he did in some games last season, um, because I think Frank has told him to have confidence. But if if it's been the injury chipping away at you, think what poor Loftus-Cheek must be suffering when he can't actually get back to uh, anywhere near um, his best. He's not even playing games at the, uh, at the academy at the moment because um, uh, he's got so much work to do to try to, to uh, I think, stop the imbalance that's been created by the lack of, of exercise. Because he was so poorly, that the, the poor boy, that he couldn't actually... Um, get out of bed properly and had to get have his parents come back to look after him so all these suggestions on social media that you know he, he was he's he's back in january or whatever in november i think people were saying we're ridiculously premature so i just think we have to uh expect the possibility of him not coming back at all this season um uh, because also I'd, i'm not quite sure how you fit the game time in i think he'd have to make an enormous effort um to play in in the reserve games or play in specific games, um, which the time may run out for him. But let's just hope that uh, we do see him this season. But I think there's a there's a big doubt because of the extent of the injury, which bizarrely was the same injury as Adoy, but much much worse. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure how that the degree of tearing your hamstring it can be worse in one than the other but Achilles it was his Achilles yeah, sorry it's Achilles sorry yeah it's Achilles yeah, you think I'd get that right considering that's exactly the injury I had myself a year and a half double ago. double hamstring uh, injury wasn't it JK no no that was it. you had an Achilles as well I did an Achilles as well Chidge I'm I'm you know were you I, playing in that silly bloody match in America as well then? I'd love to have been playing Chidge, but no even just stumbling on the terraces would probably have injured me no no just um uh, I did it playing cricket, Chidge. So, That's uh, right. Yeah, I do remember you yeah. telling me now. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. yeah, well, fingers crossed for old Ruby. Uh, I mean, Joe, I mean, I would imagine you would echo those sentiments. Yeah, definitely. And I think the the one positive that I've seen recently, I, I don't know if you remember the, the Belgian goal that we had ages ago, Yves Macalambe. Yeah. Uh, he, I, I saw him on Instagram recently and he's, He's still playing football, um, but he's a personal trainer now. So he's a pretty big guy. He's like six foot six. He's about 110 kgs. So it's a big lump. And he had a photo next to Ruben. And I think he was sort of saying, you know, because I think he does some training at Chelsea with some of the players. Um, you know, he was sort of saying that actually he's he's looking in pretty good shape, you know, and, and all this stuff about him kind of wasting away. He looks in pretty good nick. I, I don't think he is going to be, uh, I don't think, I, I mean, personally, I would prefer him not really to sort of be, needed to play sort of in the first team this year it'd be great if we could sort of give him that period to kind of you know adjust and you know hopefully again you know obviously not for him but if he doesn't go to the Euros and he has that whole summer period to, to get himself fit and back into shape but you know I kind of echo like what, what Jonathan is saying you know he he is the that he is the power that we miss in midfield he is the creativity he's the goals you know he he's kind of become the 
the sort of the you know the guy who's holding the torch now from from JT almost in terms of that sort of uh, academy profile. You know, you look at uh, a lot of these younger players now that are coming through. When they they say you know who who's there, you know who have they looked up to in the academy? It's 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 now Ruben that these 16, 17 year olds are saying you know is is the guy that they look to. So. I hope that he he comes back because you know at at his best when we saw him starting to really get into his stride last season you know he was playing well against the big teams he was making the starting and making a difference in games and you know we forget that last season you know despite the fact that that Sari kind of chopped and changed him he still got ten goals so you add those goals into the team as well I think over the course of a season he's never going to get Frank Lampard numbers but I think he'll get you double double figures every season. Um, you know huge huge I think bonus to to the side having him available having him as an option. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a real shame. And we, as you say, without getting into the particulars of why he was playing on a pitch that looked like it had just, uh, you know, seen torrential downpour and 7,000 horses sort of trod over it. You know, it was, it was insane. I, I just hope my, my hope for him is now that he's not, he's not rushed back or he doesn't need to be rushed back because we're kind of where we need to be towards the end of the season. And he can take the summer off, rehabilitate himself fully and, and, and actually come back next season and, and sort of start showing the player that everyone knows that he can be. Yeah. Here, bloody here. That'd be fantastic. Right, last, last and very quickly on the old you thing. I mean, I know that Gay's gone out on loan to Swansea, uh, which I think is a good move, actually, because that'll kind of, you know, hopefully help him develop. And he looks like a really good player to me. Um, and then we've got Billy Gilmore still around. And we've got Conor Gallagher, who you mentioned earlier. I mean, I would imagine... I mean, Conor Gallagher, given how well he did uh, or has been doing for Charlton, uh, he might get a look in next season. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, there are there are kind of rumours sort of floating around that Chelsea are looking to recall him and send him out to a Premier League club. I mean, there's a little bit of uh, you know, risk in, in, inherent in that if you're sending him somewhere that, you know, that they're kind of relegation threatened. Are they going to sort of want to drop a, a player in who's not had any time with the team straight into the team? And you know, is he going to get the minutes, etc., that he that he needs? It's not the first time that we've seen you know, a, a player make a change sort of mid-season and, and it not benefit them. You kind of sort of hope now that he's he's got the trust of Bowyer at Cholton and, and and those guys at, at Cholton in general. You know whether it's a question the same as, as Reece James last season. You know he he had the opportunity to move to a Premier League team. I think Gallagher for me it's it's just about playing minutes. I think the you know, the guys this season have shown that it doesn't matter if you're playing Championship football as long as it's regular. You know that you can certainly come back and have an impact because you know again sort of people with Gallagher. I think because he's He's not, uh, I don't want to say he's not outstanding at, at anything, but he, he's very good at lots of things. He doesn't, but he maybe doesn't have one outstanding quality. I think people have maybe kind of downplayed his his overall kind of ability and contribution a little bit. But what we've seen for Charlton this season, you know, again, you know, his first real kind of taste of adult football, he's been one of their better players, you know, and, and he's now kind of one of the, the sort of leaders in their team after half a season. You know, he was an ex Chelsea captain. Um, by kind of all accounts, he's a great character and a great sort of person that you would want to have in the dressing room as well. I think next year again he comes in and, and he can he can add that energy he can add that sort of ability that aggression that bite he's a, a bit little bit all rounder yeah. exactly yeah. you know to the midfield because I think we have at times we've lacked a bit of energy and a bit of bite in in certain games and you know if if there's one thing that he gives you if it's not just goals and, and generally his ability on the ball he puts himself about you know and then again the way the way football's going having players that can run for ninety minutes press kick tackle push people about and stuff like that it's as important as having match winners these days. Yeah, I've well, got a, I've watched... a Charlton mate who says he's fabulous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've watched quite a few Charlton matches this season. They're quite uh, 
beloved of a lot of people that love sport and uh you know so i've got a few people there who who, who like joel and i've seen a few games he looks a really good player i've got to say and I, as, as you said joe i love i love the fact he's got he's aggressive he's like a proper old old school english midfielder yeah, in a like way a terrier, yeah. you know. do you think the mentality has changed completely amongst the youth so they're seeing an opportunity because they're them they're people they aspired to be have found themselves in the first team that it 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 actually has allowed them to express themselves better by knowing that there is this way through um that wasn't there before did you think that was something that prevented people from uh, from making progress with other clubs or enormously even... yeah i think yeah. so yeah um I think first of all, it, the, you know, this this term pathway. I think that there now is a pathway, you know, to, to first team football. And I think that maybe hasn't really been there before um, to the extent that, that I think certain players have have warranted, you know, a, a chance. I think also, you know, traditionally Chelsea coaches have have often given these players kind of token minutes and the, yeah. the pressure. I mean, I, I was very fortunate to do a podcast a couple of years back with with Nathaniel Chaloba, and he was saying, you know, the that the overwhelming desire to get on the pitch was to not basically not make a mistake, you know, not to express yourself, not to do this. It was really yeah. don't yeah. give the ball away, don't do this, don't do that. And 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 that if, if you're kind of getting that sort of feedback from or, or that impression from a manager that if you make mistakes, you're never really going to play again. And I think it's it's why so many young players have maybe had a little glimpse of the first team, maybe not kind of shown fully what they can do because they're playing completely within themselves, and then we never see them for for months on end. Yes. Now it seems like you know if. You know, if, if Mason Mount has a bad game or doesn't play particularly well, he's not going to be dropped for the next you know, 10 games. He's going to get yes. another opportunity. And it's as much a question of having managerial belief and backing as it is a, as ability. You know, we've often given, I think, you know, expensive players who have underperformed games and games and games and games yes. and games to show yeah. something. But we've never afforded that opportunity to younger players. And I think now we're seeing a bit more of a meritocracy in the first team. And, and we're starting to see the benefits. As I've said, you know, you've got almost half of the team starting every single week has come from the academy, hasn't cost a penny. And you can see it, you know, when they score. I mean, you look at the, the celebration when Hudson Adoy scored, you know, at Tammy straight over, Reese James. It, yeah. it means an awful lot. That, you know, yeah, it means it an awful lot to them. It was wonderful. Yeah. And that feeling also the crowd then get off on that. It's amazing. As well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, to so see someone really, really running through brick walls is amazing. Yeah. I have to it say, does the indeed. only comparable thing I can say is was 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 under Tommy Doherty, that the the youth knew they were going to get an opportunity to carry on playing. I mean, the, that was the reason because the club had no money and was very keen for the for the youth to be playing. But it was it was that same feeling. And as a supporter, you were so pleased for somebody who was almost your not almost <clears> your <throat> age, but was nearer your age to get on and express themselves and be good that it, it just gave such a great feeling to the yeah. club. And this but, this is being duplicated here, but it's yeah. taken them. You know, having said the, the period of unparalleled success, of course, you didn't need any of the youth. But for this actual same replication of the kind of emotional feeling has taken them uh, um, over fifty years. Yeah, but a bit of a problem for us though, Jonathan, because we're now you know old enough to be their grandparents. No, no, their so, great grandparents, Chidge. Well, in your case, yeah, yes, my but, case, uh, yeah. yeah. But I, I, it's lovely, isn't it? It's what we all want. Um, brilliant, Joe. Brilliant stuff. So, thank you so much for yeah, your insight. Joe. Yeah, stuff. brilliant. Uh, yep. Yeah, right. Very, very quickly. Let's have a quick look uh, at the uh, the Newcastle match uh, coming up on Saturday at half past five. Um, I will be able to watch it because I'm doing double bubble on the old Love Sport Breakfast Show this weekend. You'll have the the benefit of my dulcet tones on Saturday and Sunday morning. So, anyway, but apart from all of that, well, we're currently fourth. Obviously, I like the fact that uh, the win against Burnley seems to have... Well, we've got a five-point gap between us and United in fifth, which I'm liking, I have to say. We are nine points ahead of Spurs, 
Uh, we are 11 points ahead of Arsenal. I mean, that's not to discount Sheffield United and, and, and Wolves, who are decent sides. But anyway, Newcastle, our last 10 matches up at the up at St. James's Park. By the way, uh, we've won 79, drawn 39 and lost 53 up at, uh, against Newcastle in total. But our last 10 matches against Newcastle United going back to 2008 are interesting reading, actually, because we've won four of them. We won last year, I think... Uh, Hazard and an own goal, if I recall. I, I, I seem to remember it being quite scrappy and we were a bit lucky, but I could be wrong. But before that, we had lost four out of the previous five. So in Feb 13, we lost 3-2. Uh, November 13, we lost 2-0. Uh, December uh, 14, we lost 2-1. We do, drew two all in uh, September 2015. And uh, in May 2018, we lost 3-0, although... Uh, you know that the, the I, we always used to play Newcastle pretty much at the end of the season when we were either involved in a Champions League final or an FA Cup final, and therefore we couldn't be asked. Uh, but our record up there is patchy. That's the uh, that's the point. And just to quickly look at Newcastle, um, their form against everybody in the last ten matches is fairly similar. They they've drawn their last two, including a one-one away at Rochdale. Uh, they drew away to Wolves, which I thought was a good result at the weekend because Wolves are a good side, as we know. Uh, and, of course, Newcastle have got a plethora of injuries. They they, they lost another two against Wolves. So, oh, Christ knows who they're going to field on Saturday. But they've also recently lost... Uh, these are at home as well. They lost 3-0 to Leicester. No disgrace in that. 2-1 to Everton. Uh, and they uh, lost 4-1 away to United. Before that, they won 1-0 against Palace. They lost 1-0 away to Burnley. They beat Southampton 2-1 uh, at home. They lost to Sheffield United. Oh, sorry, they beat Sheffield United away 2-0. Christ knows how they managed that. Uh, the most interesting result of their, their last 10 was the fact they drew 2 all against Man City at home. So, apart from the fact, uh, Joe, that they've got uh, more injuries than Emergency Ward 10, it's quite hard. I mean, Newcastle have been... And a bizarre side this season, I think. They really have. I mean, they're they're currently thirteenth, but they're they're. I mean, Christ! If people think we're inconsistent and unpredictable, they should have a look at Newcastle. This is a hard one to call. I mean, my guts tell me we should romp home because it's away, and they've got loads of injuries. But you just don't know, do you? No, and uh, you know the, the sort of system. I think uh, I remember sort of watching the highlights against Wolf. They were playing like a genuine back five. You know, I think Andy Carroll came on. It's 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 one of those games that the more I think about it, they have like the formula just to do like one of these sort of one-off performances that we struggle against. And and as you say, we don't really have a lot of joy up there, even with really sort of top top tier Chelsea sides. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be tricky. I mean, you know, I look I look at their side. I don't see anything outstanding on paper, but I think you know, looking to the the Burnley game as sort of the blueprint, I think we've we've got to be a aggressive in our team selection, and we have to go for that early goal. And I think that that really that really will kind of uh, sort of translate the, the the way that Newcastle set up. And then we just have to be careful for set pieces, if particularly if if Carroll starts over Gale. Um, you know, that, that for me is, is going to be a, a tricky situation. And it will be interesting to see again who plays centre-back in this game. Um, if, if it is, you know, if they are preparing for Carroll, I can see Zuma and Tomori or Zuma and Rudiger or whoever um, potentially playing in that just to sort of combat the physicality of him. But yeah, I think a, a tricky game is a call. But again, I think if we... If we sort of get that early goal and we and we maybe are a little bit more aggressive or a little bit more attacking in our team selection, you know that early goal, I think we should we should probably win up there. I mean, it, as you say, you know, they they do have an awful lot of injuries to contend with. They do indeed. Although uh, 
The wonderfully named and wonderfully coffered Sam Martin is back, apparently. He's recovered from injury, and he's quite a player, Jonathan. I've no idea, Chidge. You not you not seen him? No. He's got kind of like dreads that are bleached. The blonde hair on yeah, he's bloody fast. He's oh yeah, he's bloody fast. um, Yeah, he's a bit like the Wolves uh, winger used to play for Swansea. What's his name? Yeah, Uh, yeah, similar. Yeah. Oh well, that's interesting. After they'll play Carroll, I'm sure of it. They'll just boot the ball up the pitch a lot to him because that's. I think they'll have watched a few games with um, our goalkeeper not being uh, quite the uh, the 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 cross stopper that he should be. uh, ooh, I'm being contentious. Um, Not uh, really, no. I mean, funny enough, we didn't touch on that earlier, but, you know, we did look vulnerable to big, burly yeah, uh, you know, sides that are in the penalty area. But that's not entirely... That's not all careful. That's the no, defence no, no, as a whole. But, but, but he, he does he, worry me, mate. I mean, I think he did... He, he did clear... He did in that environment, yeah. Yeah, but he, he did... I think he, we had this argument on Saturday after the match, didn't we? But I, I thought he did slightly better than he has done hitherto. At least he's got to the ball. He's come for the ball and, and punched it out. But he, he doesn't fill me with confidence. I'll be absolutely honest with you. No. I'd no, agree. No. I think I, I do. I have a slight theory on, on Kepa. And this, this comes from where well, he used to play a school at rugby who had an absolutely terrible fullback. So he used to put a high ball up to him every single time, knowing that he'd probably knock it on. And I think with, with Kepa, teams have realised that he, he generally, generally doesn't come for crosses or he's not that commanding. So... If you know that a goalkeeper, and again, this comes from sort of playing and, and, and doing a bit of coaching as well, if you know that a goalie isn't comfortable coming for the ball, yeah. then it gives it gives you a bit more license to take liberties with your delivery. And what, what by that I mean is you can actually play a, a little bit closer to the goal. So I think actually now, if you look at, you know, we, we always say how, I mean, I think we mentioned it at the beginning of the pod, you know, how, how great the delivery was for the goal. But you can only really take some of these liberties with some of these deliveries and crosses if you know that the goalkeeper isn't going to come into that area. Because, you know, a six foot five commanding goalie comes out and claims most of these crosses that we're seeing. And I think actually, if you look at most of the, the goals or chances we're conceding, I think teams have started to realise that if Kepa's not coming, they can really, you know, push the ball another three, four yards ahead of where maybe they would normally put it because he's not he's not going to come out for it, and they are incredibly difficult to defend. Yeah, I, I honestly on. think I, I, you know, I've, I've kept my powder dry here. I honestly think it's an enormous problem because I don't think it fits in with the the elite quality of the club, and I, and I think they'll try and replace him. Yeah, I, just, I can see I that happening. Yeah, I can see. I just can't see this persisting. Because he he may be a great shot stopper, but this is so important. And as you say, it's it, it's uh, I, I'm convinced it's a uh, it's something that teams look at immediately and 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 attempt to to uh, to deal with it. And I think that the the Burnley's first goal of the weekend was a well, the the, the disallowed one, obviously, but was an example of let's just get the ball to, uh, into the far post as soon as possible because the goal goalkeeper will get nowhere near it. Um, and he just looks like a, a kind of frightened cat on those occasions. I don't quite know what. Uh, yeah. And no disrespect to Peter Benetti, I didn't mean that, but he just looks <laughs> like a, a frightened player. But yeah. um, no, so I think they'll play Carroll. But yeah, you never know up there. I've been up there so on several occasions when we've been supposed to win, and somehow the crowd get behind them in some way, or it gets a bit windy, or the snow comes across, or something. Something bizarre occurs, and we then we then just fade away and. Uh, um, it takes a lot of concentration and application to win up there, um, and and they raise their game a bit because we're you know soft southern poofs. So it's um, it's soft it's, southern cockneys. Uh, yes, that's, that's why it. I? I why I? Yeah, yeah, yes. Why oh. I, man? Other way and shite. Anyway, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan will be yeah. talking much more about uh, the Newcastle game. Uh, 
on Friday night on the Love Sports Show, where I'm afraid I am again absent without leave. Uh, sorry, Jonathan. No, but, it went uh, well, got... Chidge. It went well. I know. Sorry, don't well, worry. It, it, you much prefer it when I'm not there anyway. Mike. <laughs> I know. Mike, not. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you get to talk for 80% of the exactly. time without me telling exactly. you to shut up. Exactly. But uh, I've got to get up at five in the morning on Saturday, so bugger if I'm going to be in London until 11 or whatever. Anyway, I've had enough. A spat, Chidge. I've had a spat, I must mention, with Chelsea Independent, who was then charming towards me, and I felt rather ashamed. Well, you can't be rude to Pete. Pete's one of the nicest people in the Chelsea. Chelsea I know, family, I realized, I only realised afterwards, but I was just knee-jerking. I know he's lovely. And, uh, and also... So, and I apologise. I sent him a blue heart. I sent him a good, blue Good, all right. Well, I'll have you know that yeah. Pete Sampson's been listening to this show since well before you were on it. I know. So you've got, yeah, I know. I'm embarrassed and ashamed. No, he had a go at me for being equally bad as... I, heard, I saw it. I, I, I didn't have time to put loads of laughing emojis on there, otherwise I would have done. Yeah, you should have done. Yeah, and I was ashamed. I Sorry, Pete. I was being a bit crabby. Sorry. <laughs> all right enough no. okay well funny you should talk about pete Sampson because of course he used to be uh very heavily involved with the chelsea independent fanzine and uh, uh of course we have one i don't know if there are any more anymore but the one that i write for which i love and uh, everybody else does is cfc uk uh by the wonderful dj uh, a new edition was out on uh, saturday and of course you can get it at the stall on a match day or from any of the sellers on the match day the, and you can get it away because they all travel up so they, you just go and listen out for hurry up it's only a pound and you'll find it uh, you can also subscribe uh, if you can't get it in person and you can do that digitally by going to cfcuk.net in fact pete's involved with that or used to be uh, you can also get it if you're in the usa just go to at cfcukusa uh, and find out from them how to get hold of a hard copy. Right, uh, we'll be back very, very soon and uh, talking a lot. Uh, we've got loads of emails to read out. I'm excited. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Football right, welcome back. Stanford Chidge here, joined by the uh, wonderful Jonathan Kidd. Whoop. And the ever so large-brained uh, and very lovely chap, Mr. Joe Tweedy. Do you eat a lot of fish, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's part of the Copenhagen diet, yeah. Yeah, there must be it, yeah. You Not lots of herring. Herring and, Lots of herring, yes. It's so brainy. Bulging brain, it's fish, yeah. it must be. Herring, herring and Carlsberg. Yeah. He's, on a, he's on a diet of herring and Carlsberg, aren't you, Joe? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Staples. All right, okay. Home straight now. We've got loads of emails to, to read out. We're already at least 15 minutes over schedule because we... I was Jonathan and I were so wrapped at listening to Joe talking about the youth, I completely lost track of the time. But never mind. First one is for you, JK. It's email number one. Wow. It's Tom Kamaski. Afternoon, Chidge. Oh, sorry, Jonathan. I should should note that, jo, uh, that Tom sent this to me on Instagram, which is why I forgot it. And he wrote it right after the Southampton game. I just thought it probably best to give some context to it, given what he says. Sorry. Right. No problem. 
Uh, afternoon, Chidge. Been following the podcast since the start of the season. Definitely my find of the year. Thank you, Tom. Merry Christmas to yourself and the boys and a happy new year. After another frustrating day at the bridge, just wanted to give my two cents as to how I think we can improve things. Frank has been getting a lot of stick for sticking with five at the back again yesterday, but I th- do think it's the formation which suits us best. The problem we had yesterday was injuries to the players who can really thrive in that system, certainly against the weaker teams, i.e. Reese James and Alonso. Yeah, Alonso works perfectly in that environment. Aspie's limitations as an attacking fullback have been evident for some time. Yeah. And after a promising start, Emerson has failed to kick on and doesn't look up to the task because he wants away. My preferred back five would be Reese on the right, Aspie right of a back three with Rudering in the middle, Tomori on the left, with Alonso as the other wing back. James has a wicked delivery which um, which Asby so clearly lacks exactly. And Alonso can cause havoc with his movement in and around the box and goal threat. Granted, playing five defenders means one of Mount stroke Pulisic stroke Jorginho needs to be left out. But I think the attacking threat Alonso and James bring should reduce the effect of this emission. Uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi was very disappointing, looked like he was trying too hard. And personally, I think he needs a Premier League loan for at least half a season to try and build his confidence and get some games under his belt. See, it's interesting how just a couple of games later and it's changed, isn't it? We, def- yeah. we definitely need a left-footed winger to mix things up. It's been far too predictable against these low-block teams for several seasons now. Overall, we aren't a million miles away from being a very good team. Agree completely. Any Chelsea fan would have taken your hand and whole arm off if someone had said we'd be three points clear in fourth place on Boxing Day. Perspective is important in terms of this season's objectives. One of the more concerning issues, in my opinion, is Kante's form. He's been very hot and cold this season since his injuries not really settled into his usual reliable self as of, as of yet so fingers crossed that improves that's a good point we didn't actually mention that very much did we about the fact well, that he, i know yeah um overall i'm very happy with where we are and while it's frustrating that our great win at the spuds has been cancelled out straight away i would have preferred to win that game and lose against southampton if we were to drop three points in either fixture all the best for the new year i'll be looking forward to your analysis over the next few months as i do every tuesday and friday keep the faith and of course keep the blue flag flying high well done tom good mail good mail wasn't it just i mean even even though he wrote that right after the southampton game a lot of those points were still pertinent not least the one about kante who of course i was surprised well i was surprised to hear he, he was injured but i have to say joe I, i'm a bit worried about kante because yeah i know i know his form's been a bit hit and miss this season but i don't think it's because his form's hit and miss i think it's because he basically is suffering from just having played so much in the last three or four years which is no coincidence why he's picking up lots of niggly injuries. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it kind of felt that sort of after that uh, Europa League final where he was kind of like, you know, pieced together with and held together with kind of masking tape to sort of get him through that game. I don't think physically he's he's been quite there. And I, I think, you know, you forget that so much of Kante's success has come from the fact that he is just this, He's just got this insane capacity in, in terms of his work rate. You know, his his ability to run and cover ground and, and sort of, you know, recover possession and then sort of counter-attack and break it. It's it's so fundamental to what makes him a great player. I think this season that you, you've kind of, you've seen a little bit of, of, of some of his, his top form. I think that the goal that he scored against Liverpool was was great. I think he, he's played well in some in some key matches. But I, I would agree that his his form has, has dipped somewhat. I think it, it is partly due to wear and tear and, you know, there are, you know, some rumours surfacing, at least in, in the press, that, you know, he he's seeking another challenge in the summer, etc. And, 
you'd have to watch. Are they? Are they? Is that, are they really serious? Uh, you know, they're coming. They're coming from some people that normally are, are there or thereabouts in terms of in terms of their sources. Um, so not Duncan Castles. Not Duncan then. Castles. No, unfortunately, not. No. Um, but you'd have to sort of wonder that if if he is, you know, if he is going to sort of move on, and maybe, you know, Chelsea are obviously a bit more privy to the information with his, you know, kind of physical state than than the rest of us. That you know, do, do they do they take a gamble and, and try and cash in on someone who maybe is is about to start declining, or, or does does he, you know, miraculously recover given a a summer of, of rest? Although obviously we've got the Euros this this summer as well, so he's he's not going to have any sort of you know break over the over the summer period. So it, it, for me, it's an interesting one to see how it pans out for the rest of the season because he's clearly, I think he's Chelsea's, you know, sort of absolute primary, what, you know, kind of de facto world-class player. And you never really want to, to get rid of those sort of in, in any case. But, you know, it's a question of, of squad management. Do they feel that, that he, he is going to be the player that he has been for the past few years? And if they can get top dollar for him, you know, I, th- I think that maybe that, that, that's something that they would entertain if they can then obviously go and get some, some players that maybe suit the, the style of Lampard a bit more. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, one thing I will say is that I think I think Frank would keep him, yeah. you know, absolutely nailed on because I think the way and this is the beauty of having a, a player managing the club, an ex-player managing the club, and one that's played quite recently because I think Frank understands the modern game and the toll it takes on you, you know, very much. And I think he's handling Kante with kid gloves, and he's not not doing. I mean, I'm not trying to diss Sarri here. Because I think nine out nine and a half out of ten managers would have played, you know, their only other world class player in a European final to help us win a trophy. So I don't blame Sarri for that. But I do wonder, you know, somebody like Sarri might not quite understand the toll it takes on, on a player's body quite like Frank would. And I think he's handling him very carefully because he he wants him to be at the club and he wants him effective. The other thing I would say, and this is really sweet actually, my little nephew who who went to his first game on Saturday, the one player he wanted to see play was Kante. He loves Kante. I mean, my nephew, unbeknownst to me, this, he knows his football. I tell you, he should do this podcast. He knows more about it than me. But he wanted to see Kante, Jonathan. He was so upset he wasn't seeing Kante. Yeah. You know, yeah. lovely. Anyway. Players. You want to see him, don't you? I wanted to see, I remember, wanted to see Barry Bridges play. And um, and he was sub. And uh, and luckily, the crowd booed him being substitute. So Bert Murray came off and Bridges came on and he was cheered. No, it was Osgood. I got it wrong. It was Osgood. Osgood came on and um, uh, Osgood was then subbed off and everybody cheered. What a, God, what a different era. Sorry, I don't know why. Oh, no. yeah. Never mind. Right, uh, this is a long one coming up from Christian Viges, I think. Uh, and he says, Dear, J- uh, t- dear Chidge, uh, JK and esteemed guest, which is, of course, Joe Tweedy this week. Uh, Although I've been a Chelsea fan since the early 2000s, I didn't start listening to your fantastic podcast until more than halfway through the previous season. Well, Christian, that's 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 pretty that's a long time well done well i'll get to how i discovered your podcast when i did i'd first i'd like to share a little bit about how i became a chelsea fan i hope you all don't mind growing up in the netherlands one can't help but be surrounded by and become infatuated with football for me this meant playing the sport going to matches and watching football on tv the dutch eredivisie of course but also the premier league while i love the football being played in england i didn't necessarily follow or support a team closely for the first few years However, when Ian Robin, Dutch star in the making at the time, joined Chelsea in 2004, I bought a gorgeous Chelsea jersey in a, at a vintage football store. I started following the boys in blue more closely. The marvellous football played by Frank Lampard, John Terry, Joe Cole and of course Ian Robin 
excited me more than any other football I had ever seen. And just like that, I was baptised a Chelsea fan. Not long, not long thereafter, shortly before I graduated from elementary school in 2005, my dad took me on a trip to London where I got to watch Chelsea play live at the bridge. I will never forget that day. The atmosphere, the fans, the excitement and of course the 3-1 victory over Fulham. Sadly, it's been my only visit to the bridge thus far, but I don't doubt that there'll be more in the future. I've since then moved to the United States for my education, and I've recently begun working on my PhD degree in a microbiology laboratory. In order to get through some of the long days at the lab, I sought out podcasts to listen to, which is when I discovered the one and only Chelsea fancast. From the very first episode that I listened to, I was hooked. The thoughtful analysis, the proper English banter, I've enjoyed every bit of it. The podcast has also given me a sense of belonging to the Chelsea community at large, despite being so far away from London and the bridge. And for enabling just that, I'm immensely grateful to you all. Finally, I'd like to share a personal Chelsea-related anecdote with you uh, with you all that I hope you might enjoy. A friend of mine is a Spurs fan and invited me to watch the Tottenham-Chelsea game with him in August 2017 at the local Spurs bar here in Nashville, Tennessee. My idea of the local Tottenham bar in Nashville was as follows. Three old hammered blokes slouched over a bar, glaring at a TV and complaining about how much it sucks to be a Spurs fan. In other words, I, don't, I didn't think there'd be many Spurs fans present at the bar or in the greater Nashville area in general, as it doesn't take living in the UK to know that Spurs are shit. Uh, because of this, I felt particularly safe joining my mate at this bar to watch the game while wearing my Chelsea jersey. Walking up, by the way, Christian, we, we call them shirts, but just, just letting you know. Uh, walking up to the bar, however, I could hear the Tottenham chants from outside and noticed that the place was absolutely packed with Tottenham fans. I wasn't about to miss out on watching the boys in blue play, though, not even for one minute. So, I went inside anyway, and of course everyone inside looked at me like I had just committed murder. Nonetheless, while I was the butt of many of their jokes, they did let me stay and watch the game, so credit where credit is due. It wouldn't be long before the joke would be on them, though, as Marcus Alonso slotted home a magnificent free kick near the end of the first half to put Chelsea in front. As the ball hit the net, the Spurs crowd fell silent, but I raised my arms in the air and cheered loudly and proudly. I was subsequently asked to leave the bar and go and watch the game somewhere else. Their patience with me had run out, I guess. Although I was forced to enjoy the rest of the game by myself somewhere else, to me, this experience epitomises what being a Chelsea fan is all about, wearing your colours and supporting your team proudly no matter the circumstances. The conclusion of this anecdote also brings me to the conclusion of this email. Once more, thank you all for all the hard work you all put into this terrific podcast, which I look forward to listening to every week. I'm excited to see what you, as well as Frank and the gang, have in store for us for the rest of the season, and I hope to see you all at the Cock Tavern sometime. I'll sure buy you a pint! Uh, warm wishes from Nashville, Tennessee, and up the Chels. Chris Veers. Veers? Veers, I think. What a brilliant email, Chris. Thank you so much. Uh, and lovely, lovely uh, sentiments therein. Very sweet of you. JK? Um, I love the fact that he said that it, it gives him an idea of, uh, of what it's like um, to be involved in the club, you know, as a, as a fan. Because we do that for so many people, and it's something we don't think about. We just chat, don't we? And yet, and yet, he 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 feels it's giving him access to, to to what it's like to be a Chelsea fan. And I think you know, we it's it's a privilege to be able to do that um, and to create that impression. May I just say, I think it's completely fabulous. That I love it. So so pleased, so pleased we can do that for you. Thank you. So well, it's lovely, isn't it? And it, I mean, you know, this is, I mean, having Joe on here. I mean, you know. 
most people quite rightly would think that uh, you know I've got Joe on here to use and abuse his enormous brain and, and knowledge about the youth side because I found him on Twitter. But you know, for many many years, Joe and I used to chat at half time, and and I would tell I would tell Joe exactly what was going on tactically, wouldn't I, Joe? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd, al- <laughs> I'd always find something I'd said at half time mysteriously appear in the script on the on Monday. So. <laughs> oh, you cheeky <laughs> son of a bitch! But of course, absolutely true. <laughs> First rule of media, cheat, copy, and lie. And I do it very, very well. But no, I mean, this is the point. This is what I love about this podcast. And I think maybe this is what comes across. You know, most of the people that we have on here, we've known for years and years and years. We've drunk in the pubs and we we, we are generally good mates. And I, I, I like to think that that's what, what makes this little thing uh, a little bit special and a little bit different. Uh, other than that, Chris, uh, as Jonathan was not alluding to, we kind of turn up, talk bollocks, go home. You know, it's, it's, it really is that simple. But there you go. Um, right, JK, you're next. Oh, it's me. It's me. It's me. Andy Ike. Hello, Chidge. Just wanted to drop you a quick note to provide a massive thank you for the mini Kerry Dixon banner, Woo-hoo! which I received about a week ago. I left you a pause there for that, Chidge. Good. Attached is an awkward picture of me holding the Kerry banner up in front of the beautiful San Diego skyline for your enjoyment. Cheers, Andy. I don't think it's awkward. I think it's rather nice. It's good. You've got your Chelsea shirt on. I think that's great with the banner. Wow. It's great. Great picture, actually. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I've now got to get back in touch with Andy and find out where that was taken because I, I filmed a commercial in San Diego on there. They had a, a roller coaster, a very old-fashioned wood, white wooden one. And I stayed at the beach where that was. I buggered if I can remember where it was. It was a brilliant place. But it was, it was, it was near a very famous surfing beach Andy, I'll get in touch and find out. He's but it's a great photo. So glass was it ninety seven? Yeah. Um, when would that yeah. be? Yeah. yeah, definitely, isn't it? Good for him. Good for him. All right. Now this this next email is also long, but um, an absolute cracker. Um, and it's from the lovely Roy Stenning, so we've also known for a long, 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 long time. Um, he says, "Hi, Chidge, Jonathan, and whoever's turn it is this week to uh, appear on the podcast in the Chelsea Fancast Squad Rotation it's System." Joe! Okay. Yes, I'm glad you've noticed that, Roy. Um, I've been listening to the podcast for many years now, and it still remains my favourite. Um, this, this lovely. Oh, it's Mission Beach, Arivero, Mission Beach. That's it. Sorry, I got distracted by uh, Mixler. You're dead right, Arivero. It was in Mission Beach. What a brilliant place it was. Uh, sorry, back to Roy. Um, yeah, he said. Yeah, still remains my favourite podcast. How, what a lovely thing to say! And at this juncture, I just want to say, I do not select emails on the basis that they blow smoke up our derriere and say how wonderful we are. I really don't. It's, they they generally say this. Okay, it's not it's not contrived by me in any way. He says a big thank you to all involved for all the enjoyment you've given me and everyone else. Uh, listening to last week's podcast confirmed to me that I was not alone in my enthusiasm for the 50th anniversary kit. I've been a Chelsea fan since the day I was born and was just about to turn nine years old when Chelsea beat Dirty Leeds in the 1970 FA Cup final Ooh, replay. Dirty Leeds. Woo! I can still remember watching the first game and the replay on TV. Such happy memories. Although I watched it in black and white, I was fully aware of the kit that Chelsea wore on that glorious night, as colours photos were issued in magazines. My bedroom walls became covered in Chelsea pictures. The biggest of all was a giant colour poster issued by Shredded Wheat. I think he had to collect some tokens and then send off some money for postal, uh, you know, postage and packing, and they sent you back a poster of your choice. Wow. 
Blimey. There were also a few recent FA Cup final goals to choose from, and the one from 1970 of Aussie's diving header in the replay to equalise was obviously my choice. It stayed on my wall for many years. Does anyone else remember the shredded wheat poster? I'm a bit too young for that. Jonathan might. Do you remember that, Jonathan? I remember the Typhoo T pictures that you could send off for, which um, you always tried to cut off the reference to Typhoo T because it was a bit naff. But you could get all the Chelsea players and teams. But... Um, Shredded wheat poster. No, I didn't realise I'd have got one if I'd known. I didn't get. Sh- I didn't eat shredded wheat though. So perhaps that was the. Uh, but yeah, you, I, you, I, I can tell. You've heard about it. You can tell I don't eat shredded wheat, can't you? Because yeah, I'm a bit. Exactly. I'm a bit weedy. Um, but no, <laughs> I didn't I say we that. But discussed yeah. it at school, so I don't remember that at all. Actually, perhaps it was only in certain regions. <clears throat> I don't know. Well, there you go. He says, I've always loved that the uh, cup final replay kit, uh, and I've always liked Chelsea using a yellow kit for their second strip, so the two are probably related to each other. Shortly after buying my ticket for the third round match versus Notts Forest, I sorry, Nottingham Forest, I first saw details of the forthcoming 50th anniversary kit. I can't recall having been so excited about a kit before. I used to buy the latest Chelsea shirts every season, but have slowed down a lot recently and hadn't bought any since they became Nike. However, I knew I was going to buy this shirt as soon as I read about it. On the day of the match, I arrived at the ground about midday and headed straight for the megastore. As soon as I entered, I saw the new 50th anniversary shirts hanging up on the back of some of the shirts were big yellow numbers. It looked magnificent and is absolutely proper chills. For the time I was in the megastore, the shirts were flying off the pegs and it wasn't the kids that were buying them, it was men of my age. Very shortly after leaving the megastore, I was soon very proudly wearing the new shirt. As for watching the game, it was an absolute joy to watch Chelsea play in this kit. It was probably the first time I'd actually seen Chelsea play live in it, and I hope it's not the last. They should continue to use this kit for as long as possible. The 1970 FA Cup final replay may have been the first time Chelsea wore this kit, but it certainly wasn't the last. Google, this is what you were talking about last week, Jonathan. Google confirms some other instances that have jogged the memory. Chelsea played in this kit in the first match of the European Cup Winners' Cup final versus Real Madrid in 71, but not the replay, which was presumably for the same reasons that we wore slightly different kits in the 70 Cup final. Chelsea also wore the kit in the League Cup final in 72 versus Stoke City. Also, there is certainly a suggestion that we also wore this kit at home when we set a European aggregate win score versus Jeunesse Hauterag or uh, 21-0 in the European Cup. Well, not that was only in one match. It was the, as he does say, aggregate score in the uh, Cup Winners' Cup in 71. Does anyone know how many other times we've worn the kit? Maybe Jonathan knows. Here's hoping Chelsea were, uh, are wearing this kit in the 2020 FA Cup final. Kindest regards to all, Roy Stennings. Brilliant email, Roy. Thank you for that. Jonathan, any others other than the ones you mentioned? Well, no, I think it was actually, it was practical. You know, it wasn't like it was done as a, that wasn't an era where you wore something as a kind of celebration kit. It was a combination of the second kit uh, and the first kit, but they decided to change the the numbers and the, and the badge as a consequence. Because all it was doing at the time of the cup final, I said this last week, was, um, uh, was, trying to maintain playing in your proper colours because Leeds played the cup final at Wembley in red socks to allow us to wear uh, the white socks with the blue. And we, in turn, um, could have worn the second gear because it was their turn to wear all white because they wore their first team in the re- first team colour in the replay. So we wore the yellow socks and blue shorts from the second team kit because that's what we wore that season. So um, I think it was... It wasn't a, a question of wearing it um, as a as a, a kind of you know celebration of something. Let's wear that kit. It was because the opposition were wearing something that clashed. So it would be a question of working out 
when the opposition had white socks or and we were away or um uh and i think that would have been it normally you'd have kept the blue blue but changed the socks and they just happened to have um um the yellow was the best one to wear because in, in in the past when opposition have had white socks and we've kept the blue we've worn uh, blue blue and blue but i get the impression now because they're so more willing to sell kits they any opportunity to wear the second or third kit then they'll, and they'll do that excellent stuff right um email of the week jonathan Oh, thank you. Thank you, Chich. Thank you. Um, uh, it's from Jamie Lee Ullman. And he is prescient and telepathic because he says, good evening, Chidge, Jonathan and Joe. Maybe he was just listening last week. Oh, Chidge, it could be that, of course. I was hoping that he was an alien, but never mind. Um, <laughs> I would first like to say thank you for your weekly entertainment, making my commute to work much more enjoyable, as we all know it can be a bore. Yes, it can be. I've been listening to the show for several years now. Thought it's about time I email in. I'm a 25-year-old season ticket holder who's been a Chelsea fan all my life. I didn't have much choice my old man was, and he still is a diehard Chelsea fan, who, according to him almost went to every home and away match during the 80s and 90s i believe this season compared to last has been such a great joy but also a massive roller coaster we started off so well but have recently dipped in form becoming completely inconsistent however i much prefer this to sari ball playing the youth and giving them a chance is something i've wanted for a long while now and we finally have it not to mention one of the biggest legends of the club is our manager. Can you beat it? After I listened to the show for about six months, I thought to myself, it would be great to get a face to a name, or should I say face to a voice? I then finally found your Twitter pages. After a while of not knowing what you guys actually look like, you start to develop an image and, and imagine an image of what you look like by the sound of your voices. <laughs> no offence, Jonathan. I pictured you as an old fogey with grey hair and walking stick. Walking stick. Uh, yeah. <sighs> However, you actually look slightly younger. Oi! Judging by photos online. Then we... <laughs> then we have you, Chidge. For some reason, I thought you looked like Nick Knowles. Turns out you do. Ah! Just a slightly trampy version. Tony Glover was another one. I expected a tough guy, Ray Winston, lookalike. In the end, I just found a Harry Hill lookalike. Oh, I, must I, say... I don't get. I don't get that at all. Is he maybe confused with Marco? Yeah, he must. Be. <laughs> he must be because Tony's got a full head amazing. of hair and a beard. Yeah, and a beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, perhaps it was the. Perhaps it's a big collar. I don't know. Perhaps you saw a picture. Oh, maybe, of maybe with a big collar. Yeah. yeah I must say, maybe. last week's episode really did make me laugh. I'm not sure if it's your jokes, Chidge, Jonathan, or it's Tony's laugh where he squeals like a strange animal just about <laughs> to pass out. It's true, which is efficacious. I like the contrast of people on the podcast. You have the more serious but in-depth answers of Joe Tweedy and Liam Toomey, and then the more comedic side of Mr. Tony Glover and the girl who likes balls. Anyway, keep it up and thank you. Up the Chelsea and keep the blue flag flying high. Yours faithfully, Jamie Lee. Well, 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 well. And if I just uh, digress quickly, I, I found um, I'm, I'm editing my dad's book. My dad wrote an autobiography about being an actor. My dad was an actor called Sam Kidd. He made masses of films between 1945 and 1982 and teleseries. And, um, and I, yeah, I found a publicity um, photo, a, a, a release of his with a photograph saying that he supported Chelsea and Fulham. And I'm slightly disappointed by this because there you talk about being taken by your dad. 
um, or your dad being a supporter. And uh, my, my dad absolutely convinced me to be a Chelsea fan and, and had a season ticket at Chelsea, but to actually reveal that he, he, he called himself Chelsea and Fulham. But it was a completely different era then, of course, when... Um, uh, when, That's what they used to do. That's so all they did was go and watch Chelsea, uh, Chelsea at home and Fulham at home. What they did, you didn't go away. Yeah. This is in the fifties, forties, and fifties. Yeah. Well, you, you did the other every other week. Yeah, yeah, but no, but you, you, you wouldn't go away. You'd go to Fulham. I know. I'm to watch. pulling your leg. You put. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jamie, absolutely brilliant email. I, I laughed my head off when I when I read that. I'm not sure about looking like a trampy version of uh, Nick Knowles, but uh, that's better than looking like Matthew Kelly, like some idiot on Twitter did. Anyway, I, I, this is, I look slightly younger than an old fogey with grey hair and walking stick. I'm a little bit d- disappointed with that, Chidge. I think I think we should leave the judgment to Joe, and I think Joe's done the best out of this of all of us, really, with his in-depth answers. What do you think, Joe? <laughs> I'm just avoiding it. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I know when to be quiet, and this is one of those moments there. Well, there you go. <laughs> Probably you. very wise. Well, I've got to say, the next email absolutely tickled me pink. If you remember uh, last week, I, I can't even remember the, the... Oh, I know, it's because Jonathan played for them. We talked about the Corinthian Casuals who play uh, in New Malden or near they're near Tolworth, just off the A3 anyway. Uh, and Jonathan revealed to me, uh, of course, well, I should never have doubted this for a minute, but he's, he's actually played for them. So we had a little bit of a chat about that. And, of course, the great film uh, that was made about the Corinthian Casuals that I saw on the telly, uh, which is just, one of, just a brilliant story, reminded me of why we, why we absolutely should and do love this game. Um, and lo and behold, I got this fantastic email from Chris Watney, who says, Hi guys, I just wanted to write and say a big thank you for the shout-out and kind words you had for my film Brothers in Football about the Corinthians casuals in the latest podcast. I was the director and producer of the film, and it meant a lot to hear you guys talk about it so fondly. It took me six agonising years to get over the line, and so any praise we, re- we receive is very, very welcome. Best of luck with the rest of the season. Chris Watney. Uh, and he's got a website, obviously, for the film, which is www.brothersinfootball.com. How about that, JK? Oh, wow. Brilliant. Isn't that amazing? Right. Brilliant. Wow. Excellent. Yeah, I'll be I'll be going on to that website now. I'll go on in a minute. Brilliant. Well, there you go. I mean, it is a brilliant film. I mean, I, I talked about... I don't, have you, have you, did you see the film, Joe? You might not have been able to see it being in Denmark, but... I haven't seen it, but I'm going to try and, uh, I'm going to try and check it out now. Mate, it had me laughing. It had me in tears. It was just brilliant. But I mean, I, I share your pain, Chris, because once upon a time, I used to be a, a TV and, and film producer director. And these things are such a labour of love. And, and they're, they're, it's just like, you know, pulling teeth trying to get them off the ground. It takes, it takes balls and bankruptcy to make them happen, uh, as I'm sure you well know. But it really is a brilliant film. Uh, please, please, people, go and watch this film. It will restore your faith in humanity and football. Uh, and the film is called Brothers in Football, brothersinfootball.com. You'll find all about it over there. Um, Chris, we might have to get you... I might have to do an interview with you on the Chelsea Fancast because uh, then you can talk about it far more effusively than I can. And I feel very sad that we didn't get you on before you released it. But I, I, funnily enough, I heard you on Talk Sport talking to Hawksby and Jacobs about it uh, and then like a tit completely forgot. Um, and then just randomly happened to find it on the telly, as you do, and I and I and I loved it. So well done, you! And I I, I loved it so much. I, I really fancy going down to see a game, actually, if 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 you know if I can sneak away from the wife one afternoon. Um, so there you go, brilliant. That that would have been my uh, email of the week had it not been for Jamie Lee Ullman being so comedic and rude about me and Jonathan and Tony. But there you go, Jonathan. Last email from Nate. 
Piacentino. Greetings and salutations from Canada. I'm just writing to say thank you for the Kerry Dixon banner. It arrived in the mail the other day and it's hanging with pride in my office. Much appreciated. Anyway, since I deleted Twitter last year and I haven't written into the show for a while, I thought I'd take this opportunity to wish everyone a happy new year. I hope you all had an enjoyable holiday season. I know you must have because we beat Spurs and Arsenal. Yeah, and that's all that matters really. No, no, the whole season matters. Sure, there may have been a couple of bumps in the road for the boys, but honestly, I don't care. This has been one of my favourite seasons watching Chelsea. I love this team. I'm madly in love with the manager. I can't wait to see how far these youngsters can go. So much potential there. Lots of room for improvement still. And yes, they can be very frustrating, but they're such an exciting group to watch. Furthermore, we all know how short managerial careers are at Chelsea. So this is a special time with Frank as the boss. And I think we hope it might be a bit longer. I hope it continues for many years, but I'm not taking it for granted while we have him. Sorry, I interrupted. Let's just enjoy every minute of it and all the ups and downs and the emotional roller coaster of being a Chelsea fan. In the end, it's just football. It doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Win or lose, we still booze. Cheers from afar to a great 2020. Up the Chelsea. Thanks again, Nate Piacentino. Good old Nate. Well done. Yeah, lovely email to round it all off this week. Brilliant emails this week, people. Uh, and uh, if you want to get your email on the show, very easy to do. Just email chelseafancast at gmail.com and try and do it before uh, Monday because uh, I, I, I now tend to write the scripts on Sunday or early on Monday morning if you can. So there you go. Uh, we always try and read them out, as you well know. Now, that, I'm afraid, is all we've got time for this week. We will be back on next Monday when I'll be joined by Jonathan, of course, and... Um, and Mark Worrell, the famous Harry Hill lookalike. Or, no, that's Tony, isn't it? Anyway, we will be looking back at Chelsea's match against Newcastle uh, and uh, whatever else is coming up. Sure, I'm sure we can find something Chelsea-related to talk about. We never struggle, usually. Uh, and, of course, uh, the Chelsea Fancast will be back on Love Sport Radio this Friday where Jonathan Kidd will be joined, hopefully, by Alex Churchill if she's back from uh, playing with elephants. That's not a euphemism. She really has been playing with elephants. Uh, and, of course, they will be joining Matt Beadle uh, from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock in the evening. And they'll be talking, well, previewing the Burnley game. Uh, sorry, previewing the Newcastle game predominantly. Uh, so do give it a listen. Don't forget that uh, you can phone up and join in the chat with them. Uh, it's 0208 70 558. That's also a WhatsApp number. And on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock until 12 and Sunday morning at 8 o'clock till 12, I will be on the Love Sport Breakfast Show with the lovely Paul Mortimer. He will be pro- he will be winding me up, pressing my buttons, and making me rant very early in the morning. So, uh, if you want to have a listen to that, please do get in touch. Of course, on the same number. That, of course, Love, Love Sports now a national radio station, so you know you can listen to it wherever you are in the country, as well as uh, it's on the you know DAB network, obviously. But you can also listen to it on Radio Player, tune in and lovesportradio.com, which is useful if you don't live in the UK. So there you go. Uh, Right, our, our Love Sport radio show is always released as a podcast, usually on the Friday night, so do listen to that as well. Okay, uh, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Chidge, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, Joe at Joe Tweedy, uh, and of course all the other reprobates that are on this show can be found at Goalie59, that's Clayton, at Gate17Marco, at DanSilve73, at Liam underscore Toomey, at CFCGWLB, that is Alex, and uh, at Dean Mears. So there you go. And last but by no means least, uh, a big thank you, as always, to Dane Whittle for doing all of our Instagram stuff. He does a fine job on there, so do follow us on there, at Chelsea Fancast. And a very, very finally, 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 uh, the lovely uh, Drink Vodka, who may have gone already, actually, which is a bit of a shame, because I was 
deliberately going to give him a shout out. Um, but anyway, thanks to the badge, Freddie. Uh, I got two lovely Chelsea Stockholm badges, and one of them's for you, Jonathan. So I'll bring that along next time I see Thank you. Thank you. Right. There you go. Now, uh, Joe, as always, absolutely brilliant having you on the show as ever. Uh, look forward to having you back on in February. Awesome. Yeah, pleasure as always. Yeah, massive. Well done, mate. Great stuff. Lovely stuff on the youth tonight as well. Jonathan, uh, have fun on Friday. I shall miss you as I always do, but I will be listening. I won't be missing you, Judge, but thanks. No, I know. Do try and let the others speak as well. No, you know. I won't. Thank you. No, otherwise, oh, I, I, I will. I miss you. Cheers. I will phone up. No, if you if you don't, I'll phone up and then I will I will hog we'll the airwaves and you'll be sorry. Absolutely fair enough. I deserve. No, it. I, I tell you, I, I listened to it on Friday. I really enjoyed it. Actually, it's really kind of weird not being on it, but it's lovely to hear it. Actually, so do do up. listen to you out there. Phoned up. No, no, because I kind of like leave it to you guys, man. I don't want to steal your thunder. Anyway, enough, enough, enough. Jonathan, as always, brilliant fun tonight. Really enjoyed Good it stuff. with you as Me. always. Fantastic. Uh, great to see you on Saturday with the the young lad who enjoyed himself. I think so. There you go. Right, you lot out there, especially the people in Mixer. Thank you for listening. You're brilliant as ever. Love reading your comments, even if I don't read them all out. Uh, I always keep a beady eye on them. So thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it Chelsea up the Chelsea. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.